0: This is Rowena Dooley asking Seoul citizens to report for duty. Greetings, greetings. Welcome back to the Soul Citizens. I am Griffin Gaming RPG. Today is Sunday, August the 6th, and someone is already hitting us up and making us feel Thank
1: you,
0: Thrakazog. uh Thrakazak, Boy, he's trying to, like, every. I think every time he does this, he does it faster and faster before I even get through the intro. <laughs> yeah,
1: it'll be like, right, <laughs> yeah, next I, time it'll be like, yeah. Yeah,
0: right when the credits go off or something. I don't know. Well, thank you, Thrakazak. We appreciate that. I'm here with my good friend, the one and the only Fastcart FC. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing well. I'm taking a break from taking from playing Baldur's Gate for once. I'm, I'm trying trying not to be a, a no lifer in that game, but it's hard. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> how, how
0: deep have you gotten? You've gotten your character all made, and you're satisfied with your character and everything.
1: I'm not satisfied with my character. I do have to respect and I'm still in the early chapters, I guess. I'm level four? Yeah, level four. Okay. So I haven't put that many hours or many people.
0: Are you trying to burn through it or are you cruising
1: through it? I'm cruising. Definitely okay. cruising. Okay. I matter have thought because today I, I, I started, after I, I finished my session, I, I started the second season of um Star Trek uh, uh, New World. So okay. I'm on episode eight of that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't purchased it yet. I'm trying not to because I know it's a rabbit hole. I was a big Baldur's Gate person from early days, and I've been keeping my eye on it on the side, but... Uh, I don't know. I got to figure out if I'm going to jump into it. Pramster, Thank Prampster, you. Thank you. Thank you for that sub. Thank you so much as well. Yes. Yeah, so I'm kind of holding off on, uh, on. I
1: am enjoying Baldur's Gate 3 more than I enjoyed Divinity Original this 2. So that, that's something. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I never did finish Divinity. That's the other problem mm-hmm. I have with starting this I one. Never because I never did either. I keep trying to make myself go back to that, you know. Anyway, I'll have to see. Yeah, I know, Gladstone. I know. I, I got to get into it. I, You know, I'm going to tell you something. and I, I don't want to sidebar too much here, but I've said this before. I'm having difficulty getting back into single-player RPGs. I don't know what it is. I used to love them, love them, love them. I don't know if it's just the fact that I've just done them so much that they just don't draw me. As much as mmos do i prefer being in games where i'm playing with other players now i know this is cooperative and i'm looking forward to it it can be yeah i've already been invited into a group and i and i'm really that's what's making me want to do it is because i got invited into a group to do it and that's Mm -hmm. and so i've been really funny about it but um yeah i I have a real struggle i've gone back and tried to pick up a couple of games to get myself into it and every time i do it i get into it the first week and then it just dwindles away. I don't know. Nothing's what, really grand. What there.
1: it is for me is that I'm tired of, of, of middle-earth type of game. I'm just excited by like Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm all for it, but I'm mm-hmm. tired of like Dwarf, Elf, that, 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 that kind of convention. Yeah, so, really? But this See, one, but this one will probably be my last, the last one of, of that uh, type of RPG jolly. for a while.
0: Yeah. See that, and that's where I've been. I've been the other way around. I've been doing nothing but space stuff and I miss, I miss like authentic Dungeons and Dragons so is authentic yeah no 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 i'm i'm saying i've missed it that's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. this does interest me where you may have mm-hmm. been doing a lot of middle earth stuff I haven't been I've been doing more of the space stuff so i'm in a way i've been wanting to go, i've been wanting to go back to tabletop d d that's really what i've been wanting to do as a departure from computers and to interact with people again um and we've been i've been talking to that with some friends <laughs> uh yeah i mean I, i've we i've been talking to some folks about doing it and we're really still talking about doing it but in the meantime this may be another means of doing that in a multiplayer role so anyway that's that's where i am with the whole baldur's gate thing mm-hmm. by the way it is it is done very well it's like over four hundred thousand folks and within the first day and i think it's only second to hogwarts legacy uh overwhelming mm. overwhelming positives and people really like it so yeah that's it yeah dragon wow yeah gladstone you're going back to the old dragon stuff yeah i remember that yeah Okay, well, anyway, we're going to get back from the uh, the, the world of myth- <laughs> mythological things and Dungeons and Dragons and talk about where we are today. Um, we did a different thing with our sound today, guys. So if our sound is sounding off, please let us know. But if it sounds okay, just give us a thumbs up or a, a 07 and we'll know that the audio is good. We just want to make sure everything's good for this one. Um, the title of this week's show, well, before we get into that, let me go back and talk about, um, thank you, thank you for that sound check, guys. Um, we, As you guys know, we've been doing a fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Hospital for their Play Live, uh, and we've started that back in June. Uh, we are currently at 1700 my bad eyesight, $1,710. We are $290 away from our next uh, tier goal uh, milestone, where we will be giving away a UEE jacket and UEE hat from CIG. Uh, so we want to try and reach that 290 goal within the next couple of weeks. We've got to reach $10,000 by October. If you guys get us to that 2,000 goal, our next goal is $3,000, which I'm really looking forward to because that's when we're going to be doing our 12-hour live stream. And we're going to be doing some real special around that time. So I want you to give some consideration. If you haven't given to, St. Jude Children's Hospital, don't forget it's tax deductible. Uh, give it, a, Give it a shot. Take a look at the link. See if it's something that you're interested in. If you've already given, we really appreciate your giving already. If you can't give, we understand that. Hey, a lot of stuff going on. R- global inflation, we get it. Um, but again, give consideration to giving to that charitable organization because you never know. Somebody's kid, somebody's family definitely needs the help and would appreciate it. Okay, FC, let's talk a little bit about today's show. Um, let me precursor this a little bit. Bascard and I are here today because we are the two old G's in here for one. Um But secondly, one of the things you guys may not know is that when we build the team of people that you see every week here on Soul Citizens, uh, it's not a random thing. Uh, We actually look for people in the community who have a heart and a passion, not only for the game, but they all bring a certain something different to the Soul Citizens team, okay? By the way, if you guys watch the show, you're Soul Citizens too, just so you guys know that, all right, you are Soul Citizens. If you are following us, then we consider you part of the Soul Citizens family. Um, but the stream team itself are people that we look for uh, who have different aspects, different attitudes about the game. Um, so, you know, there are people who are, who are they may not come off as it. They may not come off, but there are people who are critical about certain aspects of the development. There are other people who are way more like, yeah, me and FastCart, we're the old guys. It's like, yeah, we've been around 80 years, so we can wait another 20. You know, we, we feel differently about it sometimes. Um, other people who appreciate gameplay, other people who appreciate lore. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that is because FastCart and I are not the lore people when it comes to this game, <laughs> we are not. Uh, people like uh, Colossal and people like uh, a Jade are really, really big on the lore in our team. They weren't available this weekend, so FastCart and I are going to be your guides, your facilitators through this conversation of the UEE. Now, gonna be a unique show today because this is gonna be one of those shows where we're not gonna do all the talking, We've got some videos lined up and we've tried to find videos that have been put together. They're going to take you through the beginnings of UEE and take you to where we are now. We're going to show a video, each one of them may be about 10 minutes long, something like that. And then we're going to break. We're going to talk about what we saw. We're going to look at your comments, see what you guys have to say. Then we're going to move on to the next one. So we'll tell you now, get yourself some snacks, get yourself something to drink. This is the perfect time to do that because, we're going to do a quick background on the UEE. Most of you guys are familiar with it, but we're going to do it for the sake of those who may be new to the game and maybe don't know the lore about the UEE. So we're going to give you that as a heads up. Okay. FC, what is somebody sneaking up on you or something? What are you looking around for?
1: Yeah, I I'll, I'll think about giving some honey buns because you said get a snack. Well, I was like, yeah, I, I'll if you want to. That. I forgot. I, no, I'll read. <laughs> if you want to, go ahead. Just, this is the time you want
0: to do it. Go ahead and take your hike and go get it. I'll I'll do the reading here. And
1: Mm-hmm. and just to clarify, i i, I do like some lore but it's more like baseball. i didn't like, say uh, like, like lore shit, i didn't yeah. say
0: like lore we like lore i'm talking about the lore masters these jokers who eat, i'm drink, not a romantic, and sleep. I do yeah that, yeah yeah neither one of us eat drink and sleep lore around this joint so i can tell you guys that now all right so let me go ahead and read this while fast car gets his honey bun I'm jealous of him because I wish I had something to snack on here, but okay. Um, I don't actually
1: have any. I, I wish I did. <laughs> okay, all
0: right. Well, let's talk about the UEE background a little bit here. I don't think I did a slide for this. I didn't. So let me just read it. We want to put the link in there for you guys, okay? This is from the Galactopedia. I got it. By the way, our information today is coming from three sources Galactopedia, coming from Paul Shelley, the astro historian. And also from the Templin Institute. This is something that we really want you to guys. We're going to wrap our show up with their video because they kind of do an overview of everything that we're talking about today. Some of this may be repetitive. It's okay. Just kind of go with it. You'll see where we're going with these topics when we talk about them, okay? Um, Let's hit this very first one. Uh, The intro. UEE background. United Empire of Earth, UEE, is the name of the current human governmental body. It is led by a democratically elected imperator, a tribunal of high advocate, high secretary, and high command, and the legislative body, the UEE Senate, composed of elected representatives from human-controlled planets. Keep that in mind, y'all. The UEE was formed. <clears throat> excuse me. Was formed after the conclusion of the first Tavaran War in the 26th century. Then High General Ivar Messer claimed that the tribunal system and Senate were r- rendered ineffective. Uh, Yeah, by bureaucracy and introduced the concept of prime citizen, a singular figurehead of the government to unclog the perceived governmental quagmire. Once elected, he stripped the United Planets of Earth, the UPE, high secretary and high advocate of their office and utilized the power of the military to declare himself imperator for life. Descendants of Messer reigned as dictators for centuries modifying and corrupting the governmental system to further ensconce their power. In 2792, they were ousted from power in a popular uprising, which instated the current democratic governmental structure. Okay. I'm going to stop there right now. Fast card. And let's talk about this, about the UEE because maybe a lot of people don't know that there was another governmental body before the UEE, the UPE, right? That's one of the earlier things, right?
1: Did I lose you? Yeah, no, no. You, I, I, I I was looking at uh, the wrong thing, but yeah, oh. the, yeah, yeah. The UPE before the UE. Um I don't know m- m- much about the UPE, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing like the, uh, like I know around 2030. The, mm-hmm. the, 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 that's when the, uh, the, that's when history for the the the, the law history at least. Mm-hmm. That's when I believe that. Or the Zeus or the RSI, right. RSI start. So I, I, I'm not sure how or when the UPE uh, st- 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 started. Yeah, it was a few in, centuries in later. Issue. Yeah, it
0: was a little few centuries later than that. I'm not sure when the start of the UPE was, but mm-hmm. we do want to talk about this idea. And people hear about the Messers, and they don't really talk about that very much. But ultimately, we want people to know that um, there was a transition from the Messer, what they call the Messer era. Messer. Some people say the Messer dynasty, even. where we are now and the current uee that grew out of the messer structure has tried to over the centuries or over time kind of clean its act up because the when the messers had it it left a really bad taste in their mouth they were very they were autocratic they were they they were dictators they ruled with iron fist and you know they basically they oppressed the people and so you have places like levski other places where these people have separated to get away from the uee and the UEE realized after a certain point that they really had kind of went the wrong way. So once they got the messers out, they've been trying to, I guess you could say, reform their image. That's basically mm-hmm. it, okay? They've tried to make themselves better, okay? So just want to give you a little bit of that background there about the UEE. But Paul is going to do a way better job than we can uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a look at one of the first videos that Paul puts out. And this is about, it's actually called the UEE government. We put the link there in chat for you right there. Fast Card just dropped it in. So we're going to watch that. Let's go to our watching channel because we're on our regular channel. And we're going to go ahead and bring this up for you guys and uh, you can enjoy it. So where is it at? Is this it? Yes, that's it. All right, here we go.
2: In the 30th century, mankind has stretched out to the stars. One government controls most of their lives, a strong, militarized state known as the United Empire of Earth. This government, formed as an imperial despotism, now functions as a republic that holds the fate of trillions of human lives and over 35 star systems. Come with us as we learn more about the most powerful government in human history. Thank you for that
0: donation
2: to St. Jude, Galactic Historic, UEE Government. Welcome to the universe of Star Citizen, a vast open world taking place over dozens of systems full of planets and moons, each with their own story and experience. The UEE controls the vast majority of systems that are dominated by humans in this universe, a massive democratic republic made up of states from multiple planets. To understand how this massive empire affects players in the universe, we need to understand its government systems, how they're laid out, and how they function. The legal head of state is known as the Imperator, an office created at the founding of the UEE in 2546 by Ivor Mezer. Initially, it was a hereditary title, passed down from Mezer to Mesur until the overthrow in 2792. The Imperator still signs off on all legislature, holds the office of High General, and is in charge of the legal system. However, the Imperators today are elected to office by the citizens of the UEE for a 10-year term of office. Although much weaker than their Mesur predecessors, The Imperator still has substantial power to make policy, but is much more reliant on the Senate to approve of his or her decisions involving the creation of laws. Next, let us look at how the rest of the government is organized. The major offices of the UEE are based on an old triumvirate system from the previous UPE, called the Tribunal, with the High General in charge of the military, the High Advocate in charge of the judicial system, and the High Secretary in charge of the infrastructure and practically the head of the legislature. Though the Imperator does hold the office of High General, they are still a higher rank than the other Tribunal members. All of the Tribunal are elected to office by the UEE citizen population. The High Advocate functions much like the modern U.S. Attorney General, though is also responsible for maintaining the court system as well. They control what's known as the Advocacy, whose sole job is to maintain law and order in the Empire. They do so with specialized agents, individual law enforcement officers often assigned to a single system, working alone to hunt down the worst criminals in the Empire. Agents are highly skilled investigators with the full authority of the Empire, authorized to ghost any suspect they look for. Ghosting, meaning kill or otherwise incapacitate. These agents almost always work alone, covering large areas of space with the help of local law enforcement and military forces. They also are the only authorized law enforcement to venture out of UEE space to capture dangerous criminals either in lawless space or in alien territories. The sight of an advocacy agent is rare, and if you see one, they're probably hot on the trail of a dangerous fugitive. If you see multiple, it might be best to get out of the system before an all-out war breaks out, for you see, agents only work together if there's a danger too great for a single one to take on. However, it is far more common for the residents of the UEE to see local security forces patrolling and enforcing law for the advocacy. These security forces do not directly answer to the uee but to the companies and states that hire them though within the uee borders even they must yield to the authority of the agents of the advocacy next we have the high secretary and their charge the uee senate the high secretary's job is to maintain the infrastructure of the uee and in many ways is the internal political leader dealing with the daily issues of the government. They are the head of the Senate and involved in most of the lawmaking and decision processes of that body. From the funding of the military's latest dreadnought to keeping hospitals open on the frontier, the high secretary is involved. Even though the high secretary is in charge of the internal politics and the health of the UEE, it is the job of the senators from each represented system to echo the will of the citizens that elected them. Each represented planet is allotted at least one senator, with larger planets like Earth getting five senators. Each senator is elected to a five-year term with no term limits. Together, they meet in the congressional chamber located in Seoul, on Earth, in the city of New York. In order to get representation in the Senate, a planet must reach a certain criteria, including value to the empire and population size. Once they feel they should have representation in the Senate, they must petition the government. In order to become a represented planet in the UEE, the Senate and Imperator must sign off. This often requires a lot of political capital to ensure that the planet can elect their own senator. Even though humanity is dominant in the empire, Many other species live in the UEE, including a subjugated species known as the Tavaran. There's a single Tavaran senator, a decorated Navy veteran of the Vandal War, named Suj Kosi, who represents the homeworld of the Tavaran, Elysium IV. Even 900 years in the future, political parties remain major forces in politics, with the three main parties of the UEE being the Universalist, Transitionalist, and Centralist. The Universalist party believes that the government and the systems in place should lead the people and make decisions for them. The Transitionalist Party believes that people should decide their own fate and that of the government. The Centralist Party believes that humanity should embrace its past and maintain the status quo. These three parties spar over the fate of humanity, with the Centralist Party holding the most seats and the position of Senator Pro Tempore of the Senate. As such, the status quo is maintained, at least for the moment. Lastly in this system, we have the High General. Though technically still held by the Imperator, the High General's main task is to ensure the military is operating at peak efficiency, and commands the vast forces of the UEE military. However, the High General does not do this alone. Since the promotion of the High General to Imperator, a subcommittee of the military was created called the High Command. Each branch, Army, Navy, and Marines, has a representative called Legatus Exercitus, Legatus Navium, and Legatus Marinium, respectively. Together, the High Command makes most of the military decisions for the Empire, with some input from the Commander-in-Chief, the Imperator. Each role would be filled with high-ranking generals and admirals from each branch, and answer directly to the Imperator. The Legatus Excercutus is in charge of ground invasions and occupations with the army. Legatus Navium is in charge of patrolling the borders of the UEE space and dealing with piracy. And the Legatus Marinium is in charge of special operations and the delicate operations dealing with the most difficult targets in space and ground. While those are the main branches of the UEE government, others exist, even in the framework and territory of the Empire of Humanity, namely the Governor's Council. Each country, now known as a state, can elect a governor who is in charge of the local population of that state. Governor is the highest rank a civilian can attain. Each planet has what is known as a governor's council to make planetary law and deal with planet wide issues of infrastructure, crime, employment, taxes, and so forth. As long as the governor's council does not directly contradict the UAE Senate, Tribunal, or the Imperator, each planet is left to its own devices as to how to run its internal matters. This brings up the last point, which is important to note. The difference between a civilian and a citizen in the UEE. Citizenship must be earned. This can be through civil service, military service, or some other service to the empire specifically. In day-to-day life, a citizen and a civilian are no different. It is in the government where it matters. A citizen can vote for their governor, senator, members of the tribunal, and imperator, and they can also run for all of those offices. A civilian can only vote for and run for governor. Most are used to this system, seeing as planets have a lot of freedom to determine their own laws and fate, so not many complain. While it may be thought that this concept of citizenship based on service would be connected to the tyrannical measures as a means to disenfranchise dissenters, it actually has its roots way back into the first government of humanity, the UNE. With that spelled out, the question remains, how will this structure directly affect the average player of Star Citizen? Outside of the obvious interactions with the military and the advocacy, whether you're being pursued or given jobs, there is a lot of influence characters can have on the government and the government on the characters. The government's actions, be they decrees from the Imperator or laws passed by the Senate, will directly change the in-game story. Your choices will further decide the direction the government will go down, giving power to individuals or parties, flipping control of entire star systems, or even toppling planetary governments altogether. There is even the possibility that players could get elected as senators to the UEE. The government involvement in the story and the average player experience is greater than any other in-fiction government in any online game I personally have ever played. This has been the UEE Government. If you want to learn more about this and other topics, check out the lecture series or historical questions for more focused and specific answers to questions about this and other universes be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to be notified about each new video of Galactic Historian. As always here at Galactic Historian, we hope to see you again soon. If not, we hope to see you someday in the black. Okay,
0: FC, um, give me some thoughts on what we saw here. Um, anything you wanna pick from our notes or anything that, that's kind of stands out to you in relation to this?
1: Oh uh, well. Well, first from watching that video i just wanted to give a shout out to Altwin Framer for being the, the imperative i don't know if you you saw that in the video in the video mm-hmm. that 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 was a um interesting what did you call it uh Easter egg? Yeah, yeah, Easter egg, that's the word. Well, why don't you, well, shout out to Ortwin.
0: Well, don't, don't assume people know who Ortwin is. Why don't you tell people who Ortwin is?
1: Oh, yeah, Ortwin is one of the co-founders of CIG, Cloud mm-hmm. Imperium Game. He's the uh, lawyer, the legal, uh, legal expert for mm-hmm. um, Cloud Imperium Game. Exactly. And he's been with the um, company since it, it's inception. And like I said, he, he, he's one of the co-founders. So, yeah, I got to meet him one time in 2016. So mm-hmm. he, he doesn't make um, appearances that often. I think it's only like, one or two videos w- 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 with him in it maybe yeah. more but yeah. that, that's but that's as, far as i can remember yeah
0: he's almost like a silent partner to a certain degree you know you, you don't really ever hear his name too much or anything <laughs> unless you've been around for a while but he is still around or when he's still
1: around they're yeah, still around mm-hmm. and um i i, I saw people talking chat whether that they're the, the traditional- traditionalist, centralist, or universalist. I, I thought traditionalist, I, I feel like a transitionalist, but, you know, tra- saying transitionalist is a mouthful. I wish they had a sort, 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 of, sort of name for it. <laughs> yeah, it is,
0: it is. Um, one of the things I thought—I I laughed at was when they showed the thing with Messer, and right before that, the video we're looking at right now, they showed this thing with, the, the, with this guy named Kelos, and I thought about Colossal. I'm like, oh, my God, that's too close to Colossal's name uh, running for office. <laughs> Um, there was a lot of interesting stuff here, at least for people to understand the structure. And I know for some people, they may not think, Well, what does all this got to do with anything? Was it how many years ago was it when we had the election? Do you remember Fast Cart? Was it about four or five years ago when we had
1: the election? Uh, I want to say 2019, 2020,
0: maybe 2019, maybe
1: three. Okay. Project three, three,
0: okay, three years ago. Okay, We, we did an election for those of you who weren't around back then, or maybe you were around but you left and came back but we did do an election for Leilani Addison, who is the current imp- Imperator uh, of the UEE. In um, Fastcard, I'm gonna kinda go off the, the sidetrack here a little bit because you and I both played EVE. And even though EVE's not the only game that's ever done this, but there was a actual council of game players uh, who were in
1: EVE. Do you remember that? Yeah, the so council of, um, it's called Council of Something, but yeah, I, yeah. Do, I do remember that. Yeah where they
0: they did allow players to be a part of that. And I was always intrigued. Uh, I know a lot of times when people think about star citizen, they think about, Oh, you know, finding some system and having that named after me, but I've always been interested in the possibility that in star citizen, whether or not, uh, you know, backers will be able to hold different positions or offices. I think they talked about governors who basically control over a region, um, and and, and uh, they talked about them having a governing body that was there with them. They could set their own rules as long as it doesn't go against the UEE. Um, right. But then there's also senators, right, which is a whole nother level, who have way more power and influence. And I'm really curious to see, since they did have this whole thing where we actually interacted with the universe by voting in um, uh, Lalani Addison into mm-hmm. office, whether or not, that will actually become a thing. And I, I don't mean just doing it figuratively, but whether our and CIG has already said this that our, that there will be things that happen in the government on the government side that will affect us as game players. But then there's also the things that we do as game players that I'm wondering where they create the bridge between, you know what I mean the AI and what they come up with for governing uh, from a AI side versus us. In there, How uh-huh. far they'll let us come up? Will they allow us to be governors? Well, you know, people have always talked about taking over a planet or a moon or we're going to set up our hap, you know, our settlements. Could they actually come up with something that says if there's some organization or group that dominates, a, like, let's say that your org has 40% of a moon, right? And uh-huh. the rest of it's divided up into 10% here, 5% here. Does that 40% group get to be the ones who basically are governors of that moon. You know, I'm I'm, I'm just making up stuff, y'all, but I'm just wondering whether or not CIG will ever allow us to actually really be a part of government in this game, or whether it'll rely on the, you know, things like elections. They can create those characters like they did. They gave every one of the the people who ran for Imperator had their own background. Some people were against the uh, aliens being brought in. Some people were against technology. Some people were for it, and we voted for it, right? That was pretty much how it went.
1: And I, I can see CID doing something like that. I don't know what, what the, the question is to what extent. Like, yeah. would w- they really w- w- want us players to control that much uh, space, virtual as it is in in game, to 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 say or do what we will? But you know, that's an interesting uh, thought. But you know, my my thought about the Eve Interstellar Council mm-hmm. is that a, a lot of people in the community thought that that was just that what they did was. They they could bring people in from um, Reykjavik, um, Iceland, mm-hmm. and I think it's like once or twice a year. I forget wow. how often, but every once in a while they they bring them in to um to get to bounce i out ideas out, uh, on them and get their feedback. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people in the community thought that that was just a free trip to Iceland. Basically, it, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't really. Um, a, 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 A good thing or a positive thing for the community on on a whole. Well, I don't see them, I don't see CID doing something like that, uh, 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 going that far. But yeah, probably taking over planets or moons, maybe.
0: You know what the other problem is that I think with it, Fast Carton? I don't know, maybe it's our human nature. But there's also that side of jealousy, right? That people get picked to go somewhere, right? Like they get to go to the Mm -hmm. home
1: office, you know what I mean? But uh-huh. but these,
0: but Now, mind you, these people are supposed to be representing community, and I know there's a balance in that, too. And, right? and you know, and,
1: and just, just from the background, uh, pe- people in the community vo- voted for people on 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 account of so exactly. it's not like a, a, a random thing.
0: Exactly. So the, the hope is that whoever goes, that they go and speak on behalf of the community and not go speak on behalf of themselves, right? That's the thing that I would worry well, no, about. Or... Where, I'm saying, you know, somebody says, oh, yeah. this is my opportunity to say what I want, instead of speaking Uh on behalf of the community. So I think it it can be a positive thing, especially if it's in terms, right? You know, like every, not to be funny, I'm just giving CIG some ideas, but let's say it happened at CitizenCon. You know what I'm saying? Let's just say that Uh. there was a voting process and at CitizenCon that council happens there, right? Now CitizenCon moves around. So it will be in the UK one year, it would be in, you know, know, in, in, in Canada one year, whatever. Now, I know that could still be difficult, <laughs> yeah. but I guess my... Or, or maybe, let's say it's not even physicalized. Let's just say it's something that we tune into. And just like how we're on stream right now, those council of people, that big Senate, could all... You know, we could watch it. We could see who these representatives are and them speaking about the game. You know what I mean? It, I mean there's a lot of flexibility. I would I would love for it to be at that level. Colossals told the story about Age, how when they had a, a criminal... They had a courtroom and, and, and players sat in a jury box. Mm. You know what I mean? They literally did. And if you couldn't be there, a hologram was there and the person who committed the crime was sitting up in the little penalty box. You know what I mean? And they'd be up there saying, yeah, you guys find me guilty. I'm coming after all of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they, but the <laughs> person's would role play, I know that's a big push, but I would love for the community to be able to have that level of, in some way impact. Now, of course, that's going to make a real tough job on the writers Right, if they're responding to us, if they come up with it, they can get way ahead of it. You know what I mean? And plan.
1: Right, right, but right. If,
0: if our two cents is in on it, it's like how much does our two cents influence the game? You know.
1: Right. Anyway, and uh, plus, the, it, 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 even if the TIG could implement something, something like like that uh, uh, to that to that extent or that level, uh-huh. I would just fear the trolls taking over or, or messing it up somehow. Like, oh like no, no, th- no! Some... You know
0: why it doesn't happen? Because the people who are in the jury box are the people who got offended. Like, if somebody blew you up, you know, you know, like, bad-rammed you, you'd be uh-huh. one of the people in the jury box. You see what uh-huh. I'm saying? So, you know, it's a, you know, you're know, you the one who's been something happened to, right? So they call you up and say, okay, FC, you know, you come to jury duty. This guy, we caught him. You know, he's been <laughs> apprehended. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. I, I jury duty in a virtual, in a virtual, in a game. I know. That, that, that's just what I knew. That would be cool. <laughs> I think it would be cool.
0: Okay. Let me move on beyond that. Let me talk on a couple of subjects real quick. We talked about the possibility of the people being elected, the governor of the Senate. I want to go to this thing about the advocacy, right? Because a lot of people Mm -hmm. maybe have heard about the advocacy and say, Ooh, but man, when they talked about the advocacy, these jokers were like, I don't want to say that because that's the wrong term to use. They were like the G men, you know what I mean? But they were, I mean, they have like the ultimate authority over all jurisdictions, Which was really Fine. interesting and you can kind of see why that's kind of like borderline of police state. Good
1: almost. <laughs> yeah you
0: know i mean it's police state kind of stuff right because they mm. can they can overrule local municipalities or you know security in certain regions once they show up you know what they remind me of like the inquisitors in star wars remember like okay. when the Inquisitor showed up man it didn't make a difference what anybody said they had mm-hmm. authority and word I hate to say that because Colossal's over there smiling like big the ear to ear. Mm-hmm. You know. But, but yep. the Inquisitors, like when they showed up, man, it was bad news. And like they said, if one Inquisitor shows up, they said if one advocacy person shows up, they're probably looking for a bounty. But if, mm-hmm. if multiple ones show up, they, he actually said, you probably want to get out of town. You know what I mean?
1: Get out, get out. No, you said get out of the system. You got get out <laughs> the system. whole system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: there was a good commercial. Remember the commercial where they showed the thing when the uh, Avenger came out with the EMP? The guy steals it, and he kills all the power in the in the mm-hmm. city. And remember, the advocacy came after him in that commercial. Yeah, you know, right? Uh, you know, the advocacy is somebody you really don't want to mess with. So I thought it was kind of cool. They've got this high secretary that's over Congress and, and basically the governing aspects. Then you've got the advocacy with the high advocate, which is the law enforcement. But, and and they can also go outside of their borders too, which was interesting. They they can operate outside of UEE space if they really want to go after somebody. So I'm really curious to see how that
1: works, right? And and one more thing that I thought is interesting: uh, a lot of a lot of new players may not be familiar, but citizenship must be earned. That's a big thing yes. in, in starting citizen. Like everyone starts out as a, as a civilian, but then you become a, senator, uh, become a citizen by typically by, by, by serving in military. Right. I, I'm curious if there's other ways of being becoming a citizen, like amassing wealth or, or in, in, by bypassing that, but well, mostly mostly by, by, by serving, in milita- right. serving in military. Serving in military. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And what they said was either the military or by some form of contribution to the UEE. So they could come in yeah, another, yeah. another form of service, right? You could be doing something. Mm-hmm. Else. Maybe you're doing freight runs or something that the UEE, you know, contracts they put out, but there's something that you do do to lend something toward the thing. And, and this is good for people to know about the whole thing with squadron 42 because people exactly. don't know, as you mentioned, that's how you end up moving to this point of earning citizenship. You know, citizenship, isn't just something like you said, that's automatically granted Everybody can be a civilian, but if you want the rights of citizenship, remember they said civilians can only vote for the office of governor or that's the highest office they can run for. But if you become a, c- a citizen, then you can go into the higher levels of government and vote and even vote for the Imperator. Right now they let everybody vote for the Imperator, but right. if they hold to lore, that could change right
1: later on. Okay. Okay. I, 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 guess, I guess since I paid my $45, I, 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 I'm a citizen already. No,
0: you're a citizen for <laughs> now. <laughs> for now. I guarantee you we're all citizens or civilians for now. Right. Um, let me go to the thing about the Legatus, because this was something that I had completely forgotten about, Fast Card, mm-hmm. was those Latin names that they had for Legatus Merinium, Legatus Navium, and Legatus Exorcetus. I had totally forgotten about that, that there were three branches. I always remembered the Navy, and the Marines. But I forgot about right. the Army, even though Invictus was just here. I completely forgot about that There that, that there is this breakdown of the ground forces for the Army, the Navy who patrols space and the borders, and then the Marines who basically are like, kind of like special forces who kind of go in and go after lawbreakers and all this other great stuff, right? Um, and I'm curious to see with Squadron, whether that's some form of outcome too. Like, can you choose which branch you wanna serve in, right, when you're doing it? Because, you know, I know right now we hear a lot about the UEE Navy, but could it I'm be... I'm pretty the, sure
1: it's the Navy only in Squadron 42, but... Yeah, you no, but I'm you say, know, but no, I'm talking
0: about when you come out. I'm saying, can you maybe... How you come out. Can it branch out? Can you branch out is what I'm saying, beyond just worrying mm-hmm. about... Because, you know, we got the other chapters coming, too, right? I'm just curious that that is in lore. Navy and Marines are in lore. And so let's say that you're playing Squadron 42. We don't know what the outcome is, but my point is, maybe you're doing something that... They give you an option to do something that's more along the lines of the Marines in the game maybe when you come out that's what you come out as instead you know based on maybe you did a lot of the marine stuff you may have done navy stuff but maybe you did that or maybe in the game you did a lot of ground battle stuff and that elevates you to say that's how you come in but i'm just saying mm. it's in the lore i just want to see how they're going to work it into the game later on you know um yeah i think that's about it i think we can yep, get ready jump yeah. into the next thing um yeah, like star, like starship troopers. Yeah. Captain Jones. Okay. That was our first video. We're going to go to our next video. Um, which I think talks about the branches and we're going to do this because of squadron 42 guys. So we're going to go ahead and talk about, I think, no, this was on the UEE as well. Uh, this is Paul's other video. I'm going to might cut this one short though, because the he, Marine, right? he's going to get, no, not the Marine jet. This is the one where he's going to talk about the UEE, but he's going to go in a little bit greater detail. But then he's going to start talking about the other races and their governments. So I'll probably stop it when it gets there. Just so you guys will know. Okay, okay. Just to give you the heads up on that. All right, here we go.
2: The star citizen universe is vast set hundreds of years in the future in a large galaxy filled with unique challenges with millions of individuals and hundreds of groups vying for power. It's easy to get lost. That's why I'm here to be your guide. Welcome to Galactic Historian. This is a series where I break down the lore of sci-fi universes. Also, welcome back to Citizen's Guide to Lore. This is a series where I help those citizens who are looking to start getting into the lore of Star Citizen. This episode will cover the major players in the lore of the Verse all the large political factions of the game. This will include all of the non-human races, and the three major political parties of the main human government. If I don't cover a faction you're interested in, I've likely covered it in the past, or we will talk about it in the future, so be sure to hit me up on the comments below and let me know what you'd like to see. I'll begin with the main factions you will have the most time and encounters with, the Human Government of the United Empire of Earth, or UEE. The UEE is not the only place where humans live, but it's the largest and most powerful government for humans in the Star Citizen universe. At its core, the Empire is divided up into two categories of people, civilians and citizens. Civilians are still members of the UEE, but can only vote and hold office locally, meaning their home planets. Citizens can vote and hold high office, specifically in the UEE government. Civilians can become citizens if they do something beneficial to the UEE. The easiest and most common way of doing this is by serving in the military. The founding of the United Empire of Earth itself stems from a tyrannical dynasty of a family called the Mezers. Its founder, Ivor Mezer, was a war hero who swayed the people and made changes he felt would make humanity stronger. Over the centuries, his descendants became more and more ruthless, using xenophobia and terror to keep people in line. A revolution in 2781 ousted the last measure and reformed the UEE. Today, the UEE is functionally a democratic republic. At its head is the democratically elected Imperator, who serves as the chief executive for the government and the head of the military. The position of Imperator is limited to one 10-year term, and only a citizen can run for election. The rest of the elected government is made up of senators from the various planets that make up the UEE. Inside the UEE, there are many different political factions, but the main factions can be found inside the three main political parties, the Centralist, Universalist, and Transitionalist parties. The Centralists tend to be on the far-right spectrum of politics, and libertarian in economics. They believe in a strong military and a humanity-first ideology. They believe aliens are making the UEE weaker and are plotting to overthrow and take over the Empire. They also believe in loosening restrictions on corporations. They firmly believe in tradition and keeping the center of power on Earth. The Universalists are in the middle of the spectrum when it comes to politics and the economy. They generally are the moderate party, having the majority in the Senate, and are seen as the moderate in politics, believing in guaranteeing the rights of all citizens, while also believing that the government should control and shepherd the people. They believe in legislation to moderate the economy, but are firm believers in opening trade with humanity's neighbors, especially the Xi'an. Finally, the transitionalists are on the far-left spectrum of politics, and tend towards the left economically as well. They're the only party that believes that the capital must be moved away from Earth to the world of Terra, which is a separate planet and system in the universe of Star Citizen they push to include more people in the government, seeking to abolish the age-old citizen and civilian system. They also want to reduce the military and increase government spending into arts, education, and sciences. They're also much more open to diplomatic, economic, and cultural exchanges with our alien neighbors. Most of the opinions of your average civilian or citizen can be broken down into one of these three different factions. As such, these political ideologies play an important factor in your own experience in-game. They affect everything from the missions you accept to the events that will occur. Next, we'll talk about the largest faction outside of humanity in the game.
0: Alrighty, we're going to stop it there. That's what I wanted to get into because it gave a little bit more detail uh, in relation to the three factions. In Fast Card, you kind of mentioned joris earlier and i'm curious ter- curious to see what folks in chat i know some of you already put it in but i'm going to ask you now to put it in if you had to say where you felt you landed between the centralist a universalist or a transitionalist uh where would you land so fast card you said you you're in the area of transitionalist right yeah terror
1: terror uh, baby that's, all, that's, that's why all. i wanted the power yeah,
0: to go I, I knew you were going to say that that's he notice that card didn't care about nothing about their politics. He just worried about where his home is going to be. That's all he cared about.
1: <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> that, that's not true. I, I do care about the politics, but that, that's, a, that's, a, you know, that's a, a, not a big reason, a major reason. I, I just think it's the most interesting reason to uh, to move power away from, from Earth and put it into terror. You want to but, leave yeah. your home.
0: Oh, boy, oh, boy. he's going to leave hey, home. Earth, I, I was
1: born somewhere else in, 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 in the diversity, but Earth was never my home, okay? Uh, <laughs> You guys put it's in a chat pool, yeah. Put in chat
0: where you guys think if you'd like to, please put in chat. Let us know where you think you would land in this. Um, I think they said that the centralists kind of had the well, the the, the universalists kind of have the bulk of the Senate, right? They're like in the right. in the middle. Um, and I know that when this whole thing came up with the election with Lalani, uh, uh, Addison, uh, I think she was much more on the transitionalist side of things, if I'm remembering correctly. Um I believe so. there were pros and cons to every person that got picked. I think there was, you know, there was, you could see some good in everybody, right. And what they wanted to do. Um, I'm really betwixt in between, um, I'm, I'm really betwixt in between. Cause I see pros and cons to all of them, but I do lean more toward either universalist or transitionalist, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: without getting political, even though we're talking about a political topic. Um,
1: in game in game yeah
0: yeah yeah in game do you do you see mirrors of um, real history human history here as well though with these pieces because i do i see you know yeah. of human history right i mean there's some things here right. and it'll be interesting to see how we play out in our voting now leilani's been in for three years everybody said so it's just seven more years before we switch out i am curious to see what the lore team and narrative team come up with you know, leaning toward this? Because I know there have been questions about technology, uh, AI, things of that nature that folks wanted to see come about, but that's a pushback from the government because there's rules about creating AI within the universe. Um, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think they're going to stay leaning toward that and things will go in that direction, or do you think there'll be some
1: changes? I think it'll be foolhardy to try to predict what the law team is going to come up with because they... They probably have a bunch of if-then loops or whatever. however uh, you, 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 you want to you want to uh, say, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, they, if they've already planned out like the, the next 20 years of, of Star citizen laws okay, so, so, okay.
0: so, so let's let's say that let's say that we hadn't voted toward. Let's say that we hadn't put a traditionalist in office. Let's say that mm-hmm. we had voted a centralist in office. Do you think that we would have seen the rise of Xenothreat? Because Xenothreat came afterward. And Xenothreat is against this whole idea of the aliens coming into our, you know, the UK. They United made them
1: they might have changed the name because I I think they're more Sometimes I, they have to have gameplay along along with the lore, so I think they probably wanted some kind of gameplay in, in that regard. But they might have changed some of the lore, and some of the names, and some, and some of the reasons and, and for, yeah, for but, the um yeah, well, don't for, get me wrong. for the threat. I, I'm not saying there
0: wouldn't have been another another something to combat. I'm asking you, right. would Zeno threat have risen? if the government said we're not going to allow them in. Xeno threat arose because we I, voted I, I, to allow it.
1: I don't think it would have been Xeno threat per se. It would have been something else to, to, for Right, there would have been some other thing either. that would have came up. Right, yeah. right, right.
0: Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'm, that's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm wondering about how our interaction as players, right? We vote for something. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I don't want the lower team to put stuff out 20 years ahead of time. Then I'll tell you why. Me neither. You know what I'm saying? Right. We want them to be in some Internally, way. Internally, though. Yeah, well, yeah but okay let me put it this way they could have begun the the seeds of whichever way we voted right
1: mm-hmm. they could
0: have had a small narrative let's say okay y'all if the community votes this way we're gonna go this way if they say this we'll go this way i get that but i'm just saying mm-hmm. i hope that that's an actual response that in other words that our voting just wasn't for the sake of voting that literally mm-hmm. because we put a transitionist in they said okay guys let's go with the xeno threat you see what i'm saying and, I'm, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm hoping. Ha- Obviously, that keeps them having a job too, right? <laughs> if they start responding yeah, right. to what we do in the universe, you know? So I'm just kind of curious if we had went the other way and said, no, we don't want no aliens in the, you know, alien races joining in, I would have been really curious to say, okay, what would they have done? Because like you said, they would have had to come up with something to give us something for gameplay sake, you know? right i don't know it would have been interesting and, you see. know
1: the, the, the gameplay and lore go go hand in hand right. so it might, it might have might not have been xeno threat it might as a matter of fact some of the gameplay uh aspect of Geno threat might, might have changed no it wouldn't have been xeno threat it, there, was, it, there it, been no reason yeah.
0: for xeno threat they would have come up with something else i agree with you 100 percent. Right. i'm saying it would have been something totally different and we don't know what that mm-hmm. could have been that could have been uprisings within the you know within our system they could have came up with a whole lot of other stuff i just noticed so that it could have been co-
1: nine tails or of the so other factors that, 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 that come to permanent there you yeah. go there you go
0: or there could have been something that they you know once they voted against them then any relationships that we had, maybe something for example is trade or buying things that were Xi'an or Banu all of a sudden got mm-hmm. thrown out the window you know what i'm saying there's a whole lot of stuff that they could go with i mean you know, i'm just saying possibilities that's all i'm saying and i'm hoping right. that yeah. our gameplay partners along well with the lore as it goes through you know
1: mm-hmm. okay
0: let's let's move on then let's take a look we were going we were, these next two subjects are going to be on the marines and the navy there wasn't any lore video surprisingly fast card for the army which i was kind of surprised about so we're just got the one for the Navy and the Marines. So we're going to hit that one next.
1: Okay. Hit the Marines first?
0: Yes, I think Marines
2: is first. Okay. Somewhere on a remote world, a group of outlaws are meeting, discussing their plans to assault yet another major convoy. These are hardened criminals bloodied by years of their violent reality. As they discuss their next target, a faint scream is heard. It's not an uncommon occurrence in their outlaw outpost. But as the scream continues and gets louder, they look to one another with wide eyes. They know that at that moment, they're dead men walking. As they realize that the sound they were hearing is the collective sound of dozens of nail drop pods screaming through the atmosphere, carrying their elite, fearless cargo, the U.E. Marines. My name is Paul Shelley, and you're watching Galactic Historian, a show where I take a look at the lore and history of sci-fi universes. Today, we'll be breaking down the history of the most elite fighting force of humanity in the Star Citizen universe, the UEE Marines. As always, I can't do this without you, and your support has been insane. I want to thank you all for your support, and remind you that you can help this channel just by subscribing or liking the videos and sharing it with those who you think might enjoy it with that said let's learn about the spear of the empire at its inception the marines were part of the united planets of earth army likely a group dedicated to space to ground invasions and strikes but at that point it was still mostly theoretical they were, at the time, the closest to special forces the Army had. But they seemed to be scattered, as they acted as everything from infantry and mechanized forces to small infiltrator teams. Arguably the most famous early Marine, and the one who helped shape the future of the branch, was a member of the mechanized company from the 3rd Marine Expeditionary Unit during Operation Nemesis. His name was Sergeant Adam Core. Now, Operation Nemesis was the first punch back against the Tavarin in the First Davaran War, and involved the invasion and liberation of Idris IV. As it started, everything was going according to plan, with the third dropping with the 112th Army Infantry Battalion to capture a spaceport codenamed The Hill. However, shortly after the combined force secured their drop zone, they were attacked by Tavarin defenders in a coordinated strike. While the Tavarin rushed the defenders on the ground, the U.E. fleet that was to cover the assault was smashed by a previously unknown orbital defense that the Devarn had built on the planet. It didn't take long for the third to be cut in half, and the entire invasion force to be pushed back to the last line of defense. Soon the entire chain of command lay dead, leaving a young army captain named Ivor Mezzer in charge. This new supreme commander of the invasion sprang to action organizing ambush points and ordering round-the-clock, danger-close bombing runs on the assaulting Tavarin. He didn't stop there, though. Recognizing the threat of the ground-to-orbit defenses, he grabbed Marine Sergeant Adam Kor to lead an infiltration team into the defenses, utilizing a captured Tavarin skiff. Due to the training and experience of the Marines, they managed to find the nexus of the planetary defenses and surprised the defenders of the facility, who were not expecting the surgical assault. Taking the initiative, Kor ordered his men to turn the defenses on the Tavaran fleet. Knowing he wouldn't be able to hold the facility for long, the team planted explosives on the control nexus and held out as long as they could, retreating and blowing the facility when they were about to be overrun. Thanks to the efforts of Sergeant Adam Kor and his Marines, the battle for Idris IV turned in humanity's favor, and cemented the Marines as more than just an extension of the army. After the war, the Marines were founded as their own branch of the armed services of the UPE, separate from the Navy and the Army. Their goal was to turn the Marines into a specialized planetary invasion force, separate from the Navy and Army with more emphasis on specialized missions. When the UPE transformed into the UEE under the Mezers, the newly created government branch called the High Command included a seat for the Marines, with a brand new rank, of Legatus Marinium, or the head of the marines. Under this new order, the marines were fed recruits from the best and brightest of the navy and army, meaning that, in theory, they would be the cream of the crop. While it seemed like the marines were finally finding their footing, their future would be thrown into doubt when warlord Korathal emerged with his reforged Tvaran fleet to start the Second Tvaran War. The marines found themselves as the odd man out as their specialized role was not valuable in a war where resource raids and space skirmishes dominated the conflict. The army would claim sole dominion of the ground-based operations, pointing to the impressive Battle of Korean Pass, and the navy constantly pointed out that the marines lacked the size to go toe-to-toe with the Tavarn battle fleet. Both of their other branches were bitter that their best candidates were being shuffled over to the marines and jealously guarded their best and brightest, while seeking to strangle the Marines economically, cutting their budget down as much as possible, and refusing to hand over material and resources due to, quote-unquote, war needs. In April 2605, this all came to a head when the Tavarn invaded the Oberon system. Oberon is not claimed by the UEE, but has humans living in it. It's also a home to a large quantum fuel refinery. So when the Devarn invaded the system and occupied the frozen planet of Oriel, instead of simply raiding and leaving, this posed a massive problem. You see, the system was just a single jump away from the beleaguered Vega system, which had been dealing with raids all throughout the war. Vega itself was also a single jump away from the breadbasket of the Empire, Bremen. Additionally, there was a fear that if the Tvaran turned the system into a resupply point, they might be able to push all the way to the Perry line. Many believed that the resurgent Tvaran had been aided by the Xi'an, and that if the Tvaran managed to push all the way to the Perry line, the Xi'an would then join them in their war against humanity. This was seen as an apocalyptic end-of-humanity scenario from the UEE. No one knew what to do. The High Command feared high losses in an attempt to capture the system, and were reluctant to commit Army and Navy forces as they would leave other areas of the Empire vulnerable to raids by the Tavaren. That left the understrength, but determined, Marines to deal with the issue through a surgical strike. The Marines were more than up for the challenge, as the Special Forces from the 1st Marine Combat Battalion, or 1st MCB, had been training for weeks when the word came down that the High Command had authorized them to strike in what would be called Operation Oberon. They shifted their training to a hand-to-hand martial arts style, developed after the First Tavaran War, specifically to counter the Tavaran traditional moves. They also used schematics and scans to recreate the landing zone almost one-to-one, to train on tirelessly. Soon, they boarded a secretive Navy transport to Oberon. They knew they'd be outnumbered and outgunned, and would have to strike at the perfect moment. So, they waited for days in the Vega system until the weather cleared enough for them to use their new signature transports, the orbital drop pods known as Nails. These rocket transport pods are fitted with inertial dampeners to keep the sole occupants safe from the intense G-forces of their descent from space to surface, which, due to the powerful rockets, could take as little as 90 seconds. The purpose of NAILS was to get to the surface as fast as possible, faster than any enemy could react. But this speed required intense training and practice for which the Marines were well-suited for. Early in the morning of June 24th, 2605, the Marines touched down on Urio, near a decommissioned maintenance enclosure, which gave them access to the tunnels connected to the quantum fuel refinery, their main objective. They hoped by destroying the facility, it would disrupt the Davaran's plans and cause them to abandon the system. At first, they did well, sneaking into the control room of the facility undetected. Once they arrived, they were able to kill the Dvarin there without any incident, but as they were setting up explosives, they were made by a group of Dvarin soldiers. The ensuing firefight and ever-increasing number of Tvaran meant they weren't able to set the explosives properly, so they resorted to improvised demolition as they fled to their secondary evac point. When they breached the surface of the icy planet, they found that their evac had been chased away by Tavarn defenses, and they were on their own. What followed was an epic journey of survival and heroism that cemented their legend as near super soldiers. The High Command had given the odds for their survival at this point at 3.8%, which their commanding officer, General Adachi, scoffed, saying, they've obviously never met my Marines. Despite the odds, the General was correct, with the Marines managing to eventually be evacuated from the frozen mountains of Uriel after being hunted by a much larger and better equipped Tavaran force. The success of Operation Oberon cemented the ideal of the Marines in the public eye and their importance to the UEE High Command. They'd become specialists, commandos, and elite strike forces, able to muster and hit any target anywhere in the galaxy with little to no assistance from other branches, and at a moment's notice. They would continue to prove themselves up to that task, well beyond the fall of the Mezzers. Their assaults on OP station Damien and Echo 11 during the Nexus conflicts have become so legendary that they've been enshrined in the video game Star Marine. They were also the first to test the brand new M2 Starlifter in combat when they used it in their raid on an entrenched outlaw station in an asteroid belt in a border system, using it to great success to deliver marine NOVA tanks directly onto the battlefield and to take the base without losing a single marine. The success of the Marines is largely due to their training and selection process. You see, no one can choose to go to the Marines, the Marines choose you. During initial training for the Army and the Navy, the best recruits are pulled out and transferred to the Marines. These recruits are then brought to the ice planet of Corin in the Killian system. And on the surface of this frigid planet, hostile to life, is where these Marines will be forged. For six months, they train around the clock in icy conditions. This boot camp is as much about survival as it is about making good soldiers. Those who make it to the very end are inducted into the Marines, and allowed to enter the private underground caverns of the planet, which act as the Marines' headquarters, and will act as their homeworld for their time in service. After boot, they continue their training, returning to the surface and honing their skills in their respective positions. As the Marines are a self-sufficient branch, they have to fill all of the roles that both the Army and the Navy already have, from foot soldier to fighter pilot and beyond. Once they've been fully trained, many will be posted on naval vessels to act as gunners in security. Others will find positions on terrestrial bases alongside army personnel to act as special forces or to defend remote outposts near hostile territory. And the rest will be posted to the marine fleets to work alongside other marines. Today, the marines continue to act as the spear of humanity, acting both as shock troops and commandos, able to operate alone or together with the other branches. They are the nightmares of the enemies of the UEE, and they know no fear. Thank you for watching. For now, I want to thank those who help this channel monetarily, my wonderful patrons, like those on the screen right now. Specifically, I want to shout out the latest batch of this past month. Stop it there
1: um thank you the Tobin for the donation to the saint Jude hospital thank you
0: oh wow thank you yes absolutely thank you thank you thank you um fc the marines uh, there was something in there that they said that kind of threw me a little bit he said those who make it through get to go down to the you know down underground in the planet and everything and join up
1: yeah he he didn't say anything about
0: those that don't make it through (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> through i was like they get sent home I, i'm guessing i don't know they leave them on
0: the surface and let them freeze to death i don't know i got a little freaked out no they that. get sent
1: home i mean i'm guessing i mean is that what happen? That, that, that's what happened now right they get people get sent home so yeah. i'm guessing you told you left to leave that out in order to make the, the video m- m- shorter i
0: guess so but, um,
1: i guess so but, but so, so some of the things that, that stuck out to me in, in this video, I love that cool Chavon armor that that, that that General had, mm-hmm. the, the Commander had. I, I, I don't think I've, I've seen that in-game in or in, um... Uh outside of concept before, mm-hmm. so that I, that I would love to see that in game sometime. yeah but yeah um they, they mentioned like the star marine that, that's how that came about and i thought that was mm-hmm. interesting so it, it's good to see some uh connection between something we hear in lore and something we see in game or at least in an arena commander when it comes to star marines yeah and the star left the, the star left the hercules and the nova Tank. that the, 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 uh, they they, they um incorporated those aspects into in, in the law. So I thought that was interesting. So yeah, I like I like this piece.
0: Yeah. I, I was kind of um it it's interesting about the tension that existed between the different branches, right? 'Cause the way they mm. it, the way they, they got Marines, that's not like you join the Marines, they pick you. And they took the best mean, I, 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 that's
1: some that's some real world um yeah, but the t- uh, background to that, too, because that is just not, 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 not now, but yeah. I mean, I, I can see it like in the past, it, it, it might have yeah. been. Yeah, picking m- your m- best and brightest. Yeah. yeah. And,
0: and, but it wasn't just the fact that they took, I mean, obviously, taking their best and brightest was a factor. But then they talked about how the other ones pushed back by, you know, limiting their resources, right? You know, under uh, Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, hitting them in, the, hit them in the pocket, you know what I mean? Which is mm-hmm. kind of funny considering they're all supposed to be working together per se, you know what I mean? So it's kind of sad that that kind of culture got cultivated, um, you know, by the brass, by them doing it that way.
1: And, I, kind of and again, not, not not trying to be political here, but mm-hmm. you see that in the real world, when it would come to FBI versus CIA or, uh, or federal versus state and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah that, that, that happened all over the place. Yeah.
0: Um, let's see what else I thought was interesting. Oh, uh, this is something I missed in the lore and I don't know. I don't remember hearing this before in the past. And maybe I just heard it a long time ago and I forgot. But that whole thing of their being worried about when the Tavarin got so close to UEE the space, there was concern about not. them partnering up with the Gion and, you know, them coming in and taking over. I don't remember that about them worrying about the Gion. I do remember them about them being at Oberon. But I was like, wow, that would have been kind of scary if the, you know, Gion decided to jump into the fight.
1: Well, Which... in, in, in the history of the lore, the, the, there was a Cold War between the humans and, and Gion right. So this was like back then right. as opposed to now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I just didn't remember that thing about the Tvaran and them getting together. So that was pretty interesting. There's a great shot there of the Tvaran ships all coming in. And I know we always talk about people not being aware of, like, the significance of some of the things we see in concept art. But the Tavaran ships with their, uh, their shielding, right. They're all coming in, flying together with their, what's the shielding called again? The, um, Oh God. Oh, shoot. Um, come on Colossal. I know you're I know. out there. Uh, but yeah. they've got this special shielding yeah. for those, Phylax. Phylax. the Phalanx. Thank you. Yeah. When they all come in together, they create this big bubble in front of them. Uh, man, mm-hmm. I can't God, I hope CIG implements that in the game. That would be so cool. <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be cool. <laughs> So cool. If they implement that into the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, well that was it on the uh, on the uh, Marines. Uh, let's go mm-hmm. ahead and cover the Navy next, and then we're gonna take our break and then we're gonna go ahead and jump into some more stuff here.
2: Here and witness that I do solemnly pledge, mind and body, that I will serve and protect the United Empire of Earth against all who would seek to harm it and its people, that I will faithfully discharge the duties asked of me, and when called upon, I will defend the Empire with my life, that I will be the sword and the shield that I will not falter nor fail, but fight and win. That I swear to do all in my power to act as guardian of freedom and justice, as a champion of honor and valor, and as a true and proud member of the UEE Navy. This is Galactic Historian, the UEE Navy. The UEE is the largest government in human history in the Star Citizen universe. This has a lot to do with its navy. Formed the same year as the UEE in 2546, out of the UPE navy, not much was initially changed. With the formation of the High Command to replace the role of the High General, they simply added the Legatus Navium as the head of the navy, a rank above the previous head, Grand Admiral. The rank structure of the UEE navy is very similar to previous navies of Old Earth with the enlisted personnel starting at starman and going all the way up to Master Chief Petty Officer, and officers starting off at Midshipmen all the way up to Glagatis navia, or Diplomat of the Navy. All hopeful members of the Navy must first go through basic training on MacArthur at what the Navy calls forges, bases solely dedicated to turn raw recruits into Navy members. Each forge is tasked with different roles of training, but all must pass through eight months of basic training at forges like Forge Echo. Once done, each recruit must pass a stage of training called the Candidacy, three weeks of intensive training designed to put their basic training to the test. This will determine where each recruit would go afterwards for their specialty training. While most enlisted recruits will go on to the enlisted specialties like engineering, security, navigation, and so on, some are chosen for officer training, such as the case of Callum Weaver, who enlisted but had shown so much promise that he was enrolled into flight school, graduating with the rank of Ensign. As the Meza era went on, and humanity found itself embroiled in internal and external conflict, the Navy became the main branch of the military. As a result, the Navy saw itself given the more and more impossible task to solely defend and protect the Empire, with sometimes only a single squadron of fighters and bombers charged with the defense of an entire system. Initially, the Meza sought to change this. With the introduction of the Aegis Dynamics, Hammerhead Gunship, Idris Frigate, and Javelin Destroyer, they updated the Navy. Giving greater firepower to those charged with the defense of large systems. Though aging, these ships can still often be found from the frontiers to the home front, patrolling systems alone or in small groups. This strategy of smaller, more nimble forces, with the larger fleets anchoring defenses near the front lines, has not changed much since the Mezzers. This strategy would be put to the test. On February 15th, 2603, a rebuilt fleet of the Tavaran sovereignty returned from exile with their new leader, Warlord Orathal. To reclaim their homeworld, that was lost in the First Tavaran War. Upon their arrival in the human-controlled forest system, it became clear that their technology had advanced significantly in the years following their defeat, and their tactics dramatically different. Known as the Tavaran Phalanx, the larger ships of their fleet would cluster together and merge their shields to make a nearly impenetrable barrier. This strategy would make the firepower of the larger central UEE fleets practically useless. Thus, even in defeat, the Tavarans still managed to slip out of the system, mostly intact, denying a decisive victory, System after system were razed and plundered as the cut a path of destruction towards their homeworld of the Elysium IV. One of the largest fleets in UEE Navy history was assembled to block the Tavaran forces from reaching their final goal in the Centauri system. However, Borothal sent some of his forces to raid and plunder the lightly defended major population centers of Yar Saisei. This forced the Navy, who believed the main forces of the Tavaran were engaged, to divert most of their forces to protect the civilian targets and hopefully win a decisive battle against the warlord. As the battle approached, all seemed lost when the remaining defenders of the jump gate realized that the main force was headed straight for them, and only a single carrier remained. However, a disgraced captain named Alexandra Dunlevy proposed a bold plan which would prove to be the decisive blow to end the Second Dwarren War. Captain Dunlevy's squadron, U-E-E-N 42nd Squadron, launched from their carrier the U-E-E-S before the battle, and completely powered down, floating around the entrance to the jump point. The UEE fleet gave way, slowly, to the assaulting Tavarin, eventually backing away from the jump point entirely. Sensing final victory, Korathal then pressed forward into the jump point. The only problem was, was that the jump point was too small for the large fleet, and could only be traversed one ship at a time. As the mass of the T'varin fleet bunched up around the passage, 42 restarted their bombers, and the captain gave the order to take out the Tavaran ship's shields. By the time Korthal realized what was going on, it was too late. The shields of the Varn ships were either crippled or destroyed, leaving them surrounded by a superior UE fleet, their only advantage crippled or gone, and their only means of escape, allowing only one ship at a time through. The victory at the Battle of Centauri would cement the legacy of Squadron 42 in popular culture, but it also proved to the UE Navy that their reliance on squadrons of fighters and bombers as a main part of their offensive and defensive plans was justified. In the aftermath of the Second Tavaran War, they would continue to place fighter and bomber squadrons as the main defense forces for the fringe planets, with light patrol craft and frigates to support these primary defense forces. The arrival of the Vanduul in 2681 would totally change conventional tactics. Initially the skirmishes around the Orion system caused the navy to send a massive force to secure the system, as per naval doctrine. But as the years went on, the Vanduul showed themselves to be little more than raiders. The U.E. Navy presence was reduced to only a small fleet with Army and Marine support on the planet of Armitage. On February 2nd, 2712, the Orion system was especially weak, with the Bengal carrier that was at its center called away way to deal with insurrection in the Caliban system. Around 1900 hours, a massive Vandal fleet arrived in the system. The remaining naval forces, made up mostly of fighters, bombers, support craft, and light capital ships, got support from local militia and mercenary groups to challenge the invasion force. For three days, the line fluctuated, but steadily the Navy began to push back the Vanduul. It was then that the small fleet encountered what today is known as a King Ship, a massive 300-meter-long dreadnought, bristling with fighters, bombers, boarding craft, and large offensive batteries. The overconfident UEE fleet commander ordered an all-out assault on the ship, which resulted in the remaining human capital ships being swept aside by the powerful Vanduul mothership. Shortly afterwards, Armitage and the Orion system fell. Over the years that followed, more and more systems would fall to the advance of the Vanduul. Each time, the light fleets and fighters that made up a large percentage of the naval forces were proven to be ineffective against the alien assaults. While some victories over the Vanduul by Squadron 42 and Squadron 214 proved that the reliance on small fighters still worked, the story of Squadron 88, also known as the Lost Squad, showed that without a large fleet support, fighters were not enough to stem the tide. This may have been a financial as well as a political decision, however, as the Mezzers began to use the Navy less and less as a military force and more and more to police the ever-increasing unruly population, with their budgets diverted away from the front lines and towards egotistical megastructures and their focus more on putting down rebellions than defeating real threats. To all human life, morale plummeted. In fact, it was the Navy that helped bring down the Messrs regime when the bombers of Squadron 78, made famous for their actions during the Tavarian Wars, was ordered to bomb a target they were told was a rebel stronghold on the moon of Feren. When they arrived, they discovered it was an unarmed civilian agricultural center, filled with innocent civilians. Refusing to strike the civilian target, the squadron returned to base, and they were arrested for failing to follow orders. News of their refusal spread as rebel forces, in coordination with other groups, were organizing an assault that would cause the Mesut regime to collapse. After 18 months in prison, waiting for their trial, the squadron was cleared of all charges by the new government. These Thundering Thorshoes, as they were known, were reformed, and are still seen as exemplars of the Navy's dedication to remain the defenders of freedom and justice in the Empire. However, the Vanduul attack on Vega II on October 5th, 2945, and subsequent declaration of war, has shifted the Navy once more. For the first time since the Second Tavarian War, the U.E. Navy is building up its fleets. The attack has galvanized the civilians of the Empire to enlist in record numbers, some to protect their homes others out of a sense of patriotic duty, and still others against like Weaver, who survived the attack on Vega 2, who signed up to not feel helpless. This surge in ships and recruits has caused the anchoring fleets to balloon and led to the creation of the RSI Players Corvette to complement the Hammerhead, updating the smaller defense fleets with a new, nimble, and heavily armed torpedo ship. It also allowed for the creation of a long-dormant concept of the Dreadnought class of ships. Ships designed specifically to take on the massive and deadly Vandal King ships. The first of which is called the Retribution. The Retribution is armed with multiple batteries of small to large weaponry. The biggest of which are the turret mounted bearing shipbuster railguns. These 130 millimeter railgun clusters usually live on Bengal carriers and they usually only carry one turret. The Retribution has several. Each shipbuster holds terajoules of energy and can literally smash a destroyer as if it were a tin can. While only one ship of the Retribution Class is in active duty, this has already helped lead to the UEE victory over the Vanduul in the Battle of Oberon, the first offensive in the Vandal War in March 2946. In its now fourth century of service, the UEE Navy continues to adapt to the ever-changing threats from within and without. However, one thing has never changed since its inception. The Navy will forever be the vanguard of the UEE. For good or ill, wherever the Empire needs to make its presence known, the Navy will be there. One can only hope that they remain champions of honor and valor of humanity. This has been a history of the UE Navy. I hope you enjoyed this presentation. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them below. If you did like this, please hit that like and subscribe for more content like this for Star Citizen and other universes.
0: And I'm going to ask too, as we put these links in, you guys, please go over and like Paul's videos. Please, uh, he does a lot of work here, Uh Chauvin, good to see you. Um, as you he mentioned here, this, he puts a lot of labor in here. One of the things I like about these fast card also is that Paul actually has matched up a lot of the concept art or trailers and things that we've seen that we thought were just about selling ships. He's actually ties them in with the lore, which is really great. Um, a lot of times people don't know, like the, the thing with Admiral Bishop looking out, you know what I mean? That was actually a part of the lore when that was in there, so it's kind of cool that he's actually been able to tie all this together so we kind of get it's not just about marketing but it's also about the unfolding of the story of the game that we're going to be playing
1: yes yeah, so, so one of the things I noticed uh, stood out to me is that he called retribution a dreadnought class yes. I, I thought it was a retribution class a matter of fact mm-hmm. later in the video he, he later called it the retribution class mm-hmm. but I didn't know it, it had a separate class of dreadnought so yep. that was that, that was something I, I relearned or might have forgotten from back in the day, mm-hmm. but I, lo- I love that concept of of, of of the kinship I mean, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be, be near one <laughs> I wouldn't want to yeah. you know, to try to, to try to storm one or anything like that, but just the picture of the kinship is Pretty cool. Yep, yeah. and we know and finally mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, okay. Go ahead. So finally finally, I just want to say like Legatus Navium for forty-two thousand dollars, you can become one. No,
0: that, wrong. That's, <laughs> that's what I wanted to go back and talk about because Shobhan asked yeah, about that. Yeah, we talk
1: about it in chat.
0: Yeah, Legatus Navium is actually at the twenty-five thousand-dollar mark. Believe it or not, and and I've always wondered. Again, once we were doing the study for this, and I saw these titles coming up because you guys know when people move up in the concierge level, there's these different titles, there's Grand Admiral and blah blah blah, um mm-hmm. then there's Praetorian, but then there's the goddess navium which is if i'm not mistaken the twenty-five thousand dollar donation and then after that uh, it
1: used to be twenty-five thousand 25 in for just legata but i think well, you let me finish that. i was going to say that
0: yes and then when you go to the yeah. top of the thing now that's legatus so mm-hmm. i now Choban, i don't know is there some tie into that or whether that's just something that they give you you guys know that um if you do contribute at certain levels those titles that you're given are also on the website so when you go to your profile yeah. page, when you go to your profile page, you can say, that's if you want to, you don't have to.
3: Because you mm-hmm. can say
0: civilian, or you can say citizen, or you can say I'm a grand admiral. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that carries over claw, uh, fast cart into the game, I'm curious. Is that just something there that's just for us to make us feel good in our ego? Or will that be something that does is meaningful when it comes to the universe later on? And I,
1: I was saying this in chat. I believe it. I believe it's just a title. I don't think it'll carry over in, in any kind of reputation or any kind of way in, um, in, in the game. Not? I don't Why think not? Why spectrum. Why not? Why not? I, I think that'll cause some people to get angry. <laughs> like you, it won't be paid to win so, so, so much as it say saying you, you, you can. Um, to have access you get to two to different uh, aspects of, of the game like access to you, what? you know you, you may be able to you may be able to command or do something someone who paid a thousand dollars versus someone who, who paid I don't, uh, I, don't,
0: I don't see the difference as long as the player base can do it what's the difference if, 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 if i didn't say it was a paywall I'm just saying, does it allow you to do something right up front? It doesn't say that the person who starts as a civilian can't work their set way up to Grand Admiral, right? Doesn't stop that from happening.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, we'll see. But I, I'm, just it, saying, I, I'm, I, I'm just yeah, saying, yeah.
0: As, long as, as long as they allow the community to move up to that way in the game, it, it I don't see where the problem would be. Because you're, you're, sure. you're, well will, you're willing to deny the people who have contributed something for gaining something hey, for I want it. the people who contributed. Okay, I don't want well, an unfair well, <laughs> advantage of, 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 of someone who not paid unfair. Who pay,
1: pay less, but it's, that's me. Well,
0: let me give you an example. We were playing the other day, and we were in the game, and I came across one of the executive edition guns that I didn't know was in the game. Right? I know they always said mm-hmm. that whatever we get as a subscriber thing or as a... um as a you know as a person who's given a certain level they would put it in the game i didn't know it this stuff's in the game and so i was actually like surprised when i saw it. i was like oh this is pretty cool you know so i don't think people are going to push back as long as there's a way for them to get it i agree with you though if you give people a certain access or whatever or paywall them yeah, absolutely.
1: No, we shouldn't do that. I like, I, I would love to see. I would love to get to attain a um six hundred dollars executive distance somehow in, in game. But mm. I, would, I don't want to pay. Put out the fifteen thousand dollars in real life to to, to attain it. Fifteen, you know? fifteen. So, You're way cheaper. So you got to pay that more aspect. than fifteen.
0: You got to pay more than fifteen, brother. You you, do, you got twenty five G laying around, fast car. Quit lying. Okay, I know you got the money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I know you, you got the right now. You see that? <laughs>
0: okay. Well, we hope you guys are enjoying uh, this so far. Uh, a lot of information here, particularly about the Navy. Um, you know, a little bit shorter video than the the Marines video was, but you definitely see the impact that the Navy had, particularly with the different missions that took place. Um, and and again, I, I agree with you, Fast Card. I think that the Navy is going to be the entry point for most people. I do hope, though that they do open it up so that people can actually go with a preference of whether they maybe want to push harder to be in the Marines or those people who want to deal with stuff that's on planets and on the ground level uh, you know, being in dropships and stuff that maybe they're in the armies. I would love to see that happen as well. Um, There's a lot of lore here and I'm hoping again that CIG interweaves things so that things just aren't, you know cosmetic per se but that they all do really tie into the gameplay uh in the development and to me that's like really really important because the deeper that is the more interesting it'll be for players you know you know you don't have to know all this stuff but CIG has told us that the lore is going to be important to us playing the game well let's take our break and let's talk about uh where we are right now let's talk about our fundraiser that we're doing if that's okay Uh, you guys know that we've been doing this big push with St. Jude Children's Hospital. We're going to guys show you the video real quick. We're going to talk about it real quick, and then we're going to get back into the last couple segments for the show today. So let's talk about that.
2: St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and YouTube are teaming up to help end childhood cancer. In September, supporters from across the nation come together during Childhood Cancer Awareness Month to raise money for the kids of St. Jude.
0: And that's when YouTube gamers will be posting videos and live streaming to raise funds to support the life-saving mission of St. Jude.
2: At St. Jude, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because all a family should worry about is helping their child live.
0: Money Raise also supports the research that leads to groundbreaking medical discoveries that St. Jude freely shares around the globe.
2: I can only imagine as a parent the relief that they feel when someone like St. Jude steps in. I think it's a really good lesson for us to realize that we need to do more and we can do more. It is a huge step in the right direction, a huge step in helping just people and giving back. It's all for good. And we have a responsibility, a social responsibility to help out. Find your favorite video or live stream during St. Jude Play Live on YouTube for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and donate to this amazing cause.
0: Your support will help
2: St. Jude further its incredible mission.
0: Finding cures, saving children.
2: Let's end childhood cancer together.
0: all righty let's work toward ending childhood cancer forever what a great topic yep yep uh, yep yep here we go that's where we are right now gang one thousand dollars we reached our five hundred one thousand dollar tiers we are approaching our second tier of third tier rather of two hundred two thousand dollars we are at one thousand seven hundred and thirty dollars this way we are 270 we could do this gang two hundred and seventy dollars to our next Target of $2,000, and we're going to give away the UEE jacket, the UEE hat. And then after that, we'll be shooting for that 12-hour live stream, and you guys can help us get there. So once again, please share this information uh, with, with those you know, especially those who you know that have charitable hearts that do love to give to charitable uh, opportunities such as this. We really would appreciate it. And again, we thank all of you who have already given. And if you're considering giving, we really appreciate that as well. Check the link. If you go to the link, just read it. Is that there for you? Cool. But check it out at least. And then maybe, uh, you'll decide to say, Hey, let me throw a couple and, bucks toward the kids.
1: Just say, Absolutely. And again, we have an angel donor who's, um, he's going to allow us to give away a, a, a Polaris or maybe a BMM. We, we, we're not really sure, but, but between those two, but yes, we have an angel donor who, you know, who, who will just, just just for the donated a, a separate giveaway. So yeah, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's another incentive.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, we are going to hit just a couple more subjects here. We thank you guys. We've been kind of reading the chat. You guys have been putting a lot of cool stuff in here in the chat, which is really, really nice. And I hope you guys are enjoying all the stuff about lore. Don't forget these videos that we're showing you from Paul Shelley and also from the final group that we're going to be showing you. Uh, we want you guys to go to their videos. Fast Car puts the links in for you. Please be sure to go to these videos and like them when you see them because mm-hmm. uh, these people have put in a lot, a lot of work. And they also made this show for us. Very, very easy, because we didn't have to <laughs> We didn't have to come up with all this stuff. <laughs> uh, we, we did the homework on it, but geez, oh, Pete, this lore mm-hmm. stuff is extensive. Um, okay, FC, our next category that we're going to be talking about is the Imperator. Okay. I did a little piece on that. Uh, this is talking about the first few months of Imperator Addison. Addison is in, is in her third year right now, uh, but this talks about the first, I think, three or six months. Is it three or six months? Um, it's the first month, I'm sorry, Imperator Addison's first month. month, So it's kind of a review of where, where, where Addison has been so far. So let's take a quick look at
2: that. Welcome to the report. This series covers topics and concerns of lore that have direct influence on the gameplay of Star Citizen. Today, I will be talking about Imperator Addison's first historic days in office. We'll start with a retrospective on who the Imperator is. Then, we'll talk about her first month in office. Finally, we'll discuss the impact her administration might have on the game itself in the coming months and years. Last year, the citizens elected the independent candidate Leilani Addison as the next Imperator. She won on her platform of higher funding for science and education and restarting research into artificial intelligence, a topic which has been all but banned for the last few centuries. She was an incredibly popular candidate, winning over 45% of the vote between the final five candidates. Public trust and confidence has been high since her inauguration on the 1st of January, 2951. She started out with some strong steps, but also discovered that the ship of state requires help to steer, fumbling and already tempering some of her rhetoric. Her first days did not start out well. There was an embarrassing scandal involving the guest list at her inauguration, then there was the weak applause of the Senate during her first speech before the Assembly. And finally, having to pull the nomination of Marianne Althroff to be Undersecretary of the Department of Transportation and Navigation, after several unflattering comments by Althroff about high ranking members of the UEE High Command came to light, adding to the already long list of unfilled positions in the administration. She's been forced to tone down her language and conceding that, while she still wishes to increase funding for science and education, it would have to go through the Senate. In fact, a prominent centrist on the budgetary committee, Walter Fisk, has lambasted the Imperator, saying that her proposal was economically ignorant and a grave threat to the fiscal future of the Empire. This was also a concern of mine during her campaign, as she was promising many things, but not detailing on how they would pay for it. A concern many in the Senate seem to feel at the moment. With her status as an outsider, the Senate seems to be closing ranks, with few members of the three main parties willing to work with her. However, there are some reports that her staff has been throwing out some wisdom that was given to the first modern imperator, Aaron Toy, by her chief of staff, Clement Redfield. It goes, campaign on the dream, but govern to the reality. It is said that this bit of wisdom was what kept the UEE together during those first tumultuous years after the fall of the Mezzers, tempering Imperator Toy's ambitions for a kinder and gentler humanity with the political reality of an empire teetering on the break of civil war. Imperator Addison seems to be heeding that advice, looking to govern smartly, but also to know her limits. She started with a brilliant maneuver to keep her promise to start reducing restrictions on AI on day one citing an obscure bit of legal standing, which allowed the Imperator to bring any old legislation to the floor of the Senate for review if it had not been on the docket for longer than 25 years. Now, this move bypassed the Committee on Science and Technology, where her reforms would have been slow-walked or killed outright, as the Committee would be unlikely to pass any new legislation on AI research proposed by the Imperator at that time. This move allowed for amendments to the law to be voted on by the entire Senate, speeding up the reform process. While this excited her supporters, the new Imperator tempered expectations in a speech where she would explain it would take years for new permits to be issued. She's also managed a few big wins, adding to her success with AI reform. Addison has created a brand new Xenoscience conference, which is to be held in New York later this year, and will host Human, Banu, Jian, and Tavaran scientists in a cross-species exchange of knowledge. She also installed the first ever Tavaran cabinet member, Ki Jotal. The mixed results of her first few days in office show that while Imperator Addison is settling into her new position, she still has a lot to go before she starts seeing serious political gains. The lack of a party means that she will have to rely on citizen supporters to pressure their senators into supporting her bills and mobilize like-minded senators into a coalition. Her appointment of the Tavarin seems to be directed at Senator Suj Kosi, the first Tavarin senator, and Mira Nago, her former competitor for the Imperatorship, who had proposed a Tavarin affirmative action initiative to get more of the species into the UEE government. Her creation of the Xeno Science Conference also seems to be a move to try to appease the Universalists, who have been trying to open free trade between humanity and other species like the Xi'an, and the Transits, who have been advocating for closer ties with our alien neighbors. Public confidence in the new Imperator remains high, with one supporter saying, I quote, I hope she can accomplish what she promised, but I'm sure there'll be some snags. Even if she gets half of it done, this empire will be headed in the right direction, and I'll be happy. She capped off this week with a speech at the auditorium of her former secondary school in Braha, the city of her birth, in the Oya system. There she was met with wild applause, she smiled warmly and thanked the crowd for their patience, saying, my day's been a bit more hectic than expected. A statement which seems to encapsulate the first month of her office for the new Imperator. So now the question is, how might this affect us in-game in the coming months and years? Well, let's start with some context. It's important to remember that, although for now the storytelling is restricted to the website, with events like the xenothreat invasion of the Stanton system coming in 2021, we are likely to get more and more events throughout the coming months and years. These events will likely have their origins firmly in the larger political and economic lore of the UEE in the 30th century. Thus, it's important for us to be able to analyze and understand the current events of the UEE outside of our little bubble of the Stanton system. As for how this might affect the game itself, the inclusion of the Tavarn into government positions, coupled with the new interest in a cross-species science exchange, may signal more alien access to the market. Thus, more exotic commodities, weapons, armor, and ships, may start to make their way into the game. These actions also are sure to enrage the conspiracy-driven, xenophobic minority in the UEE. They will likely be galvanized by the attacks on Stanton by xenothreat and begin targeting government actions and events sponsored by Addison, who will likely become their prime target, like Imperator Costigan was before her during his negotiation of the Huxaw Treaty. So in summary, it seems we're in for some more exotic showing up in the verse and a very unstable UEE with insurgent actions popping up all over the empire. So it seems it will be a very profitable and fun time to be a lover of alien tech or a mercenary. I wanna thank you for watching. And I want to thank my patrons on screen now for helping me make this content. What do you think about Addison's first month in office? Do you think we'll see more ripple effects in the game in the near future? Let me know what you think and more down below in the comments. And remember, Existoria, at Astra.
0: Okie dokie. A lot there. Um, Again, this was uh, Paul's take that he did after the first uh, month that uh, Leilani um, Addison was in office fast card. I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I would swear to you, I would swear to you, whoever the artist was who came up with the portrait of Addison was a Prince fan. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Because every time I look oh, at that yeah, picture, I can see that. every time I look at that picture, I feel like they definitely got influenced by a younger prince. What what, what <laughs> album you, that really uh, on? I don't know, but it's early. Whatever it is, it's early <laughs> prince. Maybe back, early, maybe yeah. around the time of Kiss, maybe. I don't because his hair was short back then. But anyway, mm-hmm. honey, Uh it looks like it looks like an influence there. But anyway, um Fastcart uh, f- uh, was gracious enough to find another post that was put out uh in just recently. This was a response uh, from a question that was asked back in March of this year about whatever happened uh, to Leilani Addison. We haven't heard anything from CIG. And uh, there was a response from a wiser from CIG, one of the devs who responded back on July 11th. And the answer was that there were several lore pieces that have touched upon Leilani Anderson successes, which is what you heard Paul reading today and failures as the imp- imperator some of these details were re- revealed in articles about other subjects so the lore could track her effect on the uee without each piece focusing in on her but another reason why we should read the lore stuff because there are bits and pieces scattered uh here's a collection of those articles tracking the imperator and their links are there on that link so if you guys want to know more in detail the links are there um but one of the things fast cart that was in here that was highlighted to me was that it said Imperator Addison made it a priority for the UEE government to be more inclusive by placing Kijotal in her cabinet, making her the first Tavaran appointed to such a position and promoting policies that have increased Tavaran citizenship numbers. A lot of people may not know this, <clears throat> that the Tavaran became a part of the UEE more because they were conquered, right? Not because they necessarily chose to, but there has been some resentment. There's been apprehension uh, because There are Tavarans who feel like they need to maintain and keep their culture and who they are while there have been other Tavaran who have basically assimilated into UEE life. And so there's some division within the Tavaran people about what's the best way for them to be. Should they hope, you know, be a part of the UEE but still maintain their culture and who they are, or should they kind of shift over and become more like the UEE? So this move, uh, by Addison, Has evidently won over some people where the Tavarans feel like, okay, at least we do have a voice in government. We've been placed into government. We have a representative in the government at a pretty high level. And evidently that has won the hearts of some of the Tavarans.
1: Let me stop and there. then mm-hmm. uh, and, and then it turned out that that backfired on on on, on addison because mm-hmm. um i was i was listening to uh colossal as, as he as he read read through that um that that quote mm-hmm. um it didn't, didn't really work out well for uh, for addison yep. but i you know that that that's that going to a whole whole other, other story but if you're really interested in that i, I recommend to check, to check it out the, yep. the, 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 the range.
0: and paul talked about how some of the decisions that that uh Lani has made some were very much welcomed decisions like this were not they backfired on her but she's still very much well liked in the in the in the uh in amongst the
1: people you know according to yeah I, I I i forgotten that she got in forty five percent of the vote and, mm-hmm. I, and I believe that's from the, 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 the player base right in the
0: player base right but in the lore right. but in the lore she is still very well liked. Cause I'm looking at the very first comment after this article. Evidently that person does not like a and Addison, um, <laughs> but, but according to the lore, she's still a favorable person overall, right. okay, which is great. She's still w- received well, but you know, a little rough start at the very beginning. Um, you know, I, th- I do think that a lot of people, when I asked people about why they liked or why they were going to vote for Addison or when, when they said that that's who they voted for, A lot of it was about this whole aspect of, you know, science, the arts, technology, and the possibility of pulling back on the restriction on AI.
1: AI, yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's been a curious thing about that because, you know, I think that the fact that CIG, the lore team, has put that in here. We know that Chris Roberts has said that he didn't want AI to become something where, like, we had androids and stuff running around in the verse. Mm -hmm. But, But that's different than AI, Right. And we know that we have things like blades and stuff that are going to be in the game. And what happened I mean, is, I, I, well, let me finish. What he said was that that she wants to loosen the restrictions, not completely get rid of it, but maybe open up some other possibilities if AI can be used. Now, now you can tell me what you're going to say about.
1: It. Go ahead. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought you were done, so I was trying to uh, jump in. But I, I can see them um, pulling back uh, restrictions and 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 uh i forgot the art, uh, other other words it, it always comes, me, comes to me late mm-hmm. um regulations regulation thank you put mm-hmm. it back on restrictions and regulations and allowing for stuff like maybe like uh uh a, a star citizen or cid made voice pack because you know acs voice, voice pack is uh, it's popular um, uh, among some people so i can see them uh implementing that in, 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 into the lord make it um you know i don't think like, like instead of a third party make, make, make a third party what okay wait a
0: minute you're talking about out something outside of the game Lelani is going to have an impact on something that's outside for inside is there no you no
1: say? no no i'm taking cig can make their own voice pack and and, and put that in, in, into the game that's what i'm saying hey, cig made voice packs
0: uh, oh okay but you're tying that into lore
1: yeah like okay, that, 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 that's ai in. that's ai that that that, 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 well, that not... helped you okay. with your ship uh,
0: okay so some form of ai that is actually built into the game
1: so, right so that's like maybe fair. there'll be
0: an ai component or something that you can talk to is what you're
1: saying right uh, and, and it's like google or whoever yeah you got me now. okay all
0: right okay i got you yeah
3: okay yeah
0: you could have something yeah I'm already wondering if there's going to be something like that because if AI blades are going to be in the game, yeah, you know, that, that could be one. You're saying something that's voice control versus something that's maybe just turned on. Right. Okay. Okay. That could be artificial intelligence. Okay.
1: Because we, I mean, like we already have it, but it's third party. I'm just saying, make it a first, a first party, maybe I see That's all. Because they have the blade. So, yeah. Yeah, but the part
0: you're talking about is voice assist, is what you're talking about. Voice, yeah. Okay, all right, okay. I, I don't want to put it in aspect of voice packs, because that's, that's frying my brain a little bit here. But no, you're, okay. You're just saying... <laughs> no, the reason why I'm saying that is because, obviously, if we're taking it, it the game already has the, the AI blades, right? There's a, if you guys go down and in Microtech, they've, they've they've got a display of what the AI blade computer looks
1: they, like. Yeah, but we can't really use them yet. No, no,
0: no. I, yeah, fast car. let me finish. I know. What I was going <laughs> to say is is that there's a form of AI in that because the thing automatically is supposed to be able to function. With, it's not dumb is what I'm saying. It, there is a form of artificial intelligence if you're using it for targeting, for example, right? But you were mm-hmm. saying the interface, by them pulling back the regulations, now the interface could be something where instead of me, it's automated on its own, where you're saying that maybe I can actually command it and say things to it, right? That's what you were trying to say, that we actually yeah. can enhance the intelligence to it. Okay, that's right. when I was trying to get some clarity about how that would work. Okay, I like right. that idea.
1: I like that idea. Okay, um, I, I, it took it took him a couple of minutes, but I finally I finally no I
0: just you said. <laughs> you said so much HTS voice packs and stuff. I'm like okay, I, I'm messing my brain up here. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. I wanted to say thank you to Scheme Era. For those five community gift subs that you gave out, thank you thank for those you, mystery man. subs and zombie pig as well. Thank you. And infirmus, thank you for the follow. Go mob. I know we typed it in earlier, but thank you for your sub as well. Appreciate that. Okay. We are actually getting near the end of the show.
1: And I know some of you guys. I think we got 10, 10 more dollars for the for the are we? oh, 1740 260 oh, yeah. away. So thank wow, you.
0: 260 away. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are getting us there. Thank you so much for that. We uh, want to kind of do a wrap-up here. Now, this video that we're going to show next, Every, by the way, once again, shout-outs to Paul Shelley, the Astro Historian over at the Astro Pub for all the hard work and labor, putting together the graphics, the videos, all the scripts and everything, because I can't imagine how much work it took for him to do it. I know these videos may only be 10 or 15 minutes long, but they take weeks to pull together, so thank you to him. We're going to show another video that I came across, and I was telling Fast Card about this earlier by the Templin Institute. Uh, we'll put the link in for them as well. I had never I think I'd seen this a, a, it wasn't that long ago now that I think about it. no I hadn't seen this until recently. Um, but they did a more of a big overview of this and they come at it from a slightly different angle. They do have a, a lot of the same information but many of you weren't here at the opening of the show when Paul started out giving us the beginnings of this thing of the UEE. So I want to use Templin Institute's video as a kind of a wrap up for today's show. They also have done stuff on other games like Halo and stuff too. So be sure to go check them out. Also like and follow them if you like what you see here. Because we really want to support the folks who do the work behind this. We always give credits when we put our YouTube videos and stuff. But we really want you guys to not just watch this stuff. But support them as well. Because they do a lot of hard work to put these videos together. So this is going to be the final video. And then we're going to get ready to do Q&A. And then we're going to wrap up. So let's check this one out.
3: From the moment the first artificial satellites were rocketed into the orbit of Earth, the human conquest of space was perhaps inevitable. The path to becoming a true interstellar civilization was marked by great discoveries, terrible wars, and the fires of revolution. Yet as mankind enters the latter half of the 30th century, the dozens of star systems over which it now holds dominion speaks to the power and resolve of the united empire of Earth. The Empire exerts control over roughly 3 dozen star systems and hundreds of planets, moons and various other orbital bodies. Centuries of interstellar development have created worlds that rival the Earth in commercial, industrial or scientific output, and a few have even nearly eclipsed the homeworld in terms of their cultural and historical significance. They are notable for their vast megacities, highly developed orbital infrastructure and large corporate presence. While these worlds together with Earth represent the core of the Empire's power, the majority of settled territories remain underdeveloped. On these worlds, the strength of the Empire's institutions struggle with a lack of resources, losing their inherent benefits of employment and education and reduced to the dull instrument of a colonial power. Often megacorporations will capitalize on this, moving in to monopolize the economy and industry of a fledgling world. As a federal republic, the political mechanisms of the United Empire of Earth are ostensibly democratic, but in reality, resemble a kind of educational oligarchy, bordering on enlightened absolutism. Citizens from worlds that reach a certain level of influence are able to elect one of their number as their Senator. This individual represents their world in the Senate, the organization responsible for the democratic process of government. Collectively. These representatives debate and determine the motions of government, headed by a High Secretary who is tasked with maintaining order and reasonable progress within the organization. A Senator will stand for a 5-year term before facing re-election, with no term limit existing. The vast majority of worlds will only be afforded a single Senator, though more influential planets may have two or three. Leading to a vast interconnected web of political alliances that exerts influence on every decision. The Senate itself is housed on Earth, which holds the most senators at five, creating a political power block centered around humanity's birth world. In the modern era, the Senate is divided between three dominant political parties the largely traditional and conservative Centralist Party, the progressive Traditionalist Party, and the free market advocates of the Universalist Party. Acting as a counterweight to the democratic mechanisms of the senate is the advocacy, the judiciary and law enforcement branch of the government. Although the senate may vote on imperial laws, the advocacy will define and enforce them. In the more turbulent years of the fascist Mesa era, it also served as a secret police force, involved in intelligence gathering, espionage and assassination as well as propaganda campaigns and other more disturbing accusations that remain unproven. Today it serves as a federal anti-crime agency, persecuting interplanetary lawbreakers and able to travel with impunity through every jurisdiction of the nation. As much ace pilots as they are skilled investigators, advocacy agents are feared by criminals across the empire. The organization is headed by a single high advocate the counterpart to the Senate's High Secretary, and ostensibly the most well-informed individual in the human race. The Empire itself is ruled by an Imperator, the Head of State and Commander-in-Chief. This individual is elected from amongst the members of the Senate, but, due to the nature of citizenship, it is possible for them to have roots in any branch of the government. The Imperator will serve for an extended, though term-limited reign. Since the days of the Mesa era, restrictions have been placed on the rule of the Imperator. They may still wield extensive political power, as well as influence over the advocacy and the military, but they will never again be able to approach the level of authoritarian domination that the Mesa dynasty practiced. While the federal government aims to bring the same level of state services to all its citizens, regardless of their socio-economic status, it's mixed record in this era, has created a widening divide. This is epitomized in the disparity between the core and outer worlds which manifests itself most strongly in the unequal access to education and citizenship. Whilst the child in the megacities of Terra 3 or Raeta may be crowded into a classroom of several hundred, it is likely that a child of the colonies will have no classroom at all, instead being taught remotely through a mass distributed e-learning program. Such programs are of little use to these frontier generations and many will leave school before earning their equivalency. Though a lack of formal education does not officially preclude one from entering the workforce, it does drastically limit their opportunities. Equivalency is necessary for certain higher paying jobs, holding public office, or entering any kind of government related work. This has the effect of vastly skewing the ratio of commoners and citizens in the empire's underdeveloped corners. Whilst commoner is a catch-all term for the majority of the inhabitants of the UEE, citizenship is a formal status attained through higher education or service in the military. Designed as an incentive to drive its populace to greater accomplishments, citizens are able to hold public office and take part in the democratic process, As well as enjoying certain taxation benefits and economic opportunities excluded to commoners. It is this division, more than race or religion, that defines society in the United Empire of Earth. The only reliable method of bridging the widening social strata of the Empire is a career in the military. While the armed forces technically requires equivalency in its enlistees, it has been known to waive those requirements if a cadet displays certain, desirable traits. Those who are successful will rarely return to their homeworld after their tour of duty, instead using their newfound mobility to settle elsewhere in the Empire or become a career soldier. As one of the most prolific ways for a commoner to earn citizenship, the military holds an influential place within the public and political spheres of the UEE. A surefire if dangerous means for one of many downtrodden young adults of the empire to better their lot in life, almost every citizen of the UEE will either have served or know someone who has. The senate is rife with former soldiers who use their time in service to acquire the necessary knowledge to successfully conduct a senatorial campaign, whilst some of the top agents of the advocacy learn the more overt skills of their trade within the ranks of the armed forces. Often the Imperator will have a service record themselves, their heroics in the cockpit of a starfighter or on the bridge of a battleship, forming a uniquely patriotic element of their campaign for ascendancy. As such, the High General of the Armed Forces often wields considerable political power, able to influence either branches of government or even the Imperator themselves. The military is divided into three services, the Navy, the Army and the Marines. The UEE Navy is by far the most lauded element of the three, receiving the highest accolades, the most active press coverage, and the largest budget. The image of naval vessels patrolling the far-flung reaches of distant systems, hanging above densely populated core worlds, or clashing with the myriad dangers of space, is a sight recognizable to many across the Empire. The army, in contrast, receives far less attention, relegated to the role of planet-side operations and garrison duties on the strategic worlds of the Empire. A fully mobile and mechanized force able to conduct security missions and full-scale warfare under a myriad of conditions, the army is nevertheless seen as a secondary combatant when compared with the service record of the navy. Though the nature of war has changed drastically, both branches form an essential part in the security apparatus of the United Empire of Earth. Filling in the gaps of that apparatus are the UEE Marine Corps. Expected to serve as an expeditionary force, security detail or long-range operations detachment with equal skill, the marines rely on rigorous training and a wide use of technology rather than the overt specialization of the navy or army. Though widely praised and well regarded, the military is not without its critics. Many still link its institutions with the atrocities of the Mesa era, where the armed forces spearheaded the rapid growth of the UEE at the cost of brutal crackdowns and acts of genocide. To many, particularly in the colonies where the older generations see their children disappear into service, never to return, the military still represents the clenched fist of the oppressor and the enforcers of fascism. It was this expansion of military power, hand in hand with the development of practical terraforming, that birthed the United Empire of Earth from the former United Planets of Earth, itself a distant descendant of the old United Nations. While many modern institutions within the Empire can trace their history to both these preceding states, the first interstellar war fought against the militarist Taverin race between 2,543 and 2,546 exposed many of the nation's systematic weaknesses. The conflict also brought to the public eye the actions of Ivar Messer, A hero of the conflict, Messer utilised his celebrity to embark on a political career, elected first to the Senate and later named the High General of the Armed Forces. Mesa advocated a number of reforms, primarily the strengthening of executive power and the creation of a new office for their use. Mesa himself would assume that new role, elected as the first and only Prime Citizen. His reforms culminated in the declaration of the United Empire of Earth, and while the rapid changes this brought to society faced some internal opposition, they helped usher in an unprecedented age of expansion and colonization. A second triumphant war against the Teverin further cemented Mesa's power, who had adopted the new title of Imperator this authority was transferred to his children upon his death, creating the first Mesa dynasty. The rule of the Imperators swayed the empire towards an increasingly fascist state, and the threat of future wars against the neighbouring Xi'an and Vandul species used to suppress dissent. In 2792 however, leaked footage of a state-sponsored massacre of human colonists led to widespread demonstrations and the overthrow of the imperial government. In the years since, the federal government has instituted a series of counter-reforms aimed at reversing the autocratic acts of the Imperators and restoring the public trust. It initiated enormous public works, notably the Ark, a galactic repository of knowledge and interspecies meeting space, and the Synthworld, an artificially constructed planet. It has even attempted to normalize relations with previously hostile species although the results of these diplomatic efforts have been mixed. In 2,951, the United Empire of Earth now stands at the precipice. Stretched militarily and economically, with the threats of the galaxy amassing and unrest fermenting in the largest megacities and smallest townships, the UEE, has entered a time of uncertainty. Leilani Addison, the current Imperator, faces political attacks from the Senate internal pressures from the advocacy and the bleak forecasts of the armed forces, all whilst weathering the diplomatic pressures of the wider galaxy. With technological momentum grinding to a halt, it will take either an error-defining breakthrough, or a titanic effort to reawaken the machine of human ingenuity. The Ark, though impressive, has fallen far off its mark as a place for all species of the galaxy to meet in congress. The synth world, remains an empty dream, a hulking mass of sunken investment that will take the economic strength of an entire species to get moving again. As the promise of progress crumbles to dust, the threat of war looms. The Empire's military, so lauded and entrenched in its society and politics, draws ever more influence in the voices of the Senate. With such jingoism running high, The Empire could easily be plunged into a devastating conflict with another galactic power, all over some foolish thing in the borders. Whatever the galaxy may hold for the United Empire of Earth, one thing has become clear. The institutions of government, weighed down with politics and intrigue, have lost their impact. The tools of politicians are blunting, the grip of centralized power is waning in strength. The corporations, though prolific and powerful, are being muzzled by their dedication to the bottom line. The next age of humanity is coming, and it will be determined, not by the efforts of its governments, nor the schemes of its corporations, but by the actions of its citizens.
2: The Templin Institute investigates the nations, factions, and organizations of alternate worlds. If you've enjoyed this video and would like to join the Templin Institute, consider pledging to our Patreon page. Along with increased security access, you will be able to vote in polls to determine future topics, get custom wallpaper every week, and receive some other exclusive rewards.
0: Already. That's from the Templin Institute. Good stuff
1: there. Uh, anything stand out to you there, FC? You'd like to know more? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> someone made that reference in our chat. I wanted I saw, to bring that up, yeah, but I, I think it's interesting to 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 see the lineage of of UEE. So the United Nations became the United Nations of Earth, then became the United Planets of Earth, then became the United Empire, United Earth Empire. So that 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 that's how you know step by step became UEE. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen more pictures of Framer tonight than i have in the past eight years <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that stood out to me yeah and you know he, he, in, in the middle of this, this video he called it uh patriarchy or maybe the military patriarchy but i'm wondering how it can be a patriarchy when you have addison at the top so i'm, I'm confused about that but other than that um he he uses he likes to use big words he said educational oligarchy oligarchy and yeah, oligarchy. you know that's accurate Exactly. Not not, not something I'm I'm used to these days, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that the way they, their unfolding of the story is a bit more dramatic too, which I liked a lot about Mm. this. But I also like the fact that they let us know that the empire is at a certain teetering point, that things aren't necessarily, everything's not great. You know, there are some issues and implies the fact that the people are the ones who will direct or have a greater impact on the future of where we go. And so, you know, again, you know, us understanding lore and the universe that CIG is trying to create is one that we're just not running around doing cargo missions or just doing piracy just because you can do it, but that it actually, Chris has always said, that our actions should have impact in the universe. And so I think that even if it means that the politics even, you know, and how the universe is governed, that we, like, again, I'm really hoping that we do have impact. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that the lore team is going to lay out some groundwork for us. The playground, right? But I'm hoping that that playground can be impacted by our actions too, uh, as we get more involved with the game and as the game starts to develop. So I'm I'm pretty excited about the prospects of that. Um, okay, well we have hit it. We are already a few minutes over on our time. Uh, believe it or not, we have absolutely no questions this week, and that's because these folks put out all the information. There was really no, <laughs> we didn't have to answer anything because I think they kind of hit stuff pretty good
1: wait 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 there were no joke ban tonight
0: there was lost, not even a chance. joke ban there was not even a good joke band in there which is uh dang which is good that <laughs> means there were no jokes which is even better so that's great <laughs> just kidding no it, it was great i hope you guys really enjoyed the information that got presented because there was a lot of good stuff there um let's go ahead and talk about what we got coming up fc why don't you go ahead and hit yours now
1: Thank you for the follow, um, VanderWaal, um, yeah. Vandero, Vandero, thank you. Uh, so yes, on Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. UTC, we have Soul talk, we cover what's going on in Star Citizen that week. We cover Star Citizen Live, we cover ISC, uh, Inside Star Citizen, and we cover uh, Death Tracker, we cover Twitter, and we generally uh, talk about what's going on that week you the community coming to twitter i'm sorry coming to discord and, and and talk to me personally and uh, cover what's going on that week so that is soul talk 9 p.m. eastern 1am utc absolutely and then on
0: saturdays at 3 p.m eastern time we do soul voices that's our one-on-one where you get to come in and speak with us one-on-one versus thursday which is more of a round table and we get to talk about things that come from spectrum from reddit uh, from the gaming industry, and then just sometimes questions that we come up with that the community is talking about. So hopefully you guys can join us on Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for Soul Voices. Next week we are doing a show called The Stars of Squadron 42. Oh, I feel good. Thrakazog, thank you. Thrakazog, thank you. Thank you for that community gift sub. Thank you. You got that. it in julio just now. Yeah. <laughs> it always catches us, right? Um, but we're going to be doing a show called The Stars of Squadron 42. Um, you guys know who some of the folks are that are going to be in Squadron 42, but we're going to pull some of these different actors that maybe you don't know uh, that CIG is hired to portray the voices and even the characters uh, in the upcoming game Squadron 42. But we're going to talk about how you'll get to know them. Other movies, TV series, things like that that maybe they've been in. You can be like, "Oh, I've seen that person before. I didn't know they were going to be in here." So we're going to be talking about all the talent, not all of it. Cause there's a lot of actors. If you look at the uh. IMDB, it's ridiculous, but we are going to go in and find some of those people. And hopefully we'll be able to pull some clips from scenes and things that you'll say, Hey, I recognize them from this, that, and the other. So that's going to be next Sunday uh, at 8 PM Eastern time. And hopefully you guys will be able to join us for that. Okay. Um, once again, Thank you guys for the contributions that you've been giving towards St. Jude Children's Hospital. We are at $1,740. We're $260 away from reaching our next goal. Hopefully we'll be able to hit that soon. Uh, we'll be able to give away the UEE jacket and UEE hat. Thank you guys once again for the follows, for the subs, for the bits, and for sitting with me in Fastcard tonight as we've done this show. FC, is there anything you'd like to say as a closing? You didn't get to throw out one of your puns uh so i'll i'll let you have the final word here before we set up and do our rate oh by the way don't forget to check out our merchandise don't forget uh again uh follow us like subscribe on all of our social media that's out there we're going to be sending you guys over to tree0311 he's over there with Nazareth right now having some great star citizen conversation and i'm going to leave it to fast car to close us out
1: uh i'm going to steal the fun from uh, space force it's great to be black in the (laughs) UAE. all right gang
0: we'll see you guys later as always peace love and soul have a great week stay safe we'll see you soon